Howdy, everyone. Welcome to GoFeffy Break on Unsafe Space. I'm your host, Carter Lern, and I'm joined by the lovely Carrie Smith in Hi, kind of like a Firefly Jane hat, but like a Christmas version or something. What is, is oh, it? Oh, is it? Christmas Christmas? Uh, yeah, this it is like actually something Heather, Heather made me this, one of our Unsafe Space people. And okay. I haven't been able to wear it because it hasn't been cold enough in a few months, but now it is. And then look at this. Marie Buskey. Oh, she made this nice. beautiful, it's called a hitch, hitchhiker scarf. It's got this beautiful, like, scalloping on it. Anyway. Cool. I feel, you know, Carter, if someone had told us two years ago that one consequence of doing a podcast would be that I would get beautiful hand-knit items in the mail, I wouldn't have believed them. <laughs> right. That's, that's Especially cool if it wasn't a knitting <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but now it is a knitting podcast, so yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I love um, it. I I don't have the talent or skill to do anything like all these llamas, and it's funny whenever I I wear this and like people are like, "Oh, that's so beautiful." I'm like, "I know. I have nothing to do with it." <laughs> <laughs> I I look at that and I just see the amount of work and patience that is required for that, and I think to myself, "Wow, that's that's a commitment. Someone someone bangs that out. That's not. It's not like you don't do that in an hour or two. That's a no, long you, process." You carry it around with you. Marie said she carried this around for months or whatever, working on it. You know, you just kind of work, I guess, that, you know, you work on it when you have time. Yeah. So um, anyway, happy Halloween. I didn't wear my witch's hat today because I, I wanted to. My daughter's all cold. dressed up for her, like, Zoom class, but I am not, uh, I didn't, I didn't embellish. Carter. Sorry. Where, yeah, I thought you were going to dress as Snake Plissken. Oh, I should have. I forgot. I'm putting on a Twitter hat. Okay. I uh, like it. Okay. <laughs> Um, speaking of the podcast, I just want to mention, uh, if you'd like to support us, you can go to unsafespace.com slash donate to subscribe to the channel, um, or to support the channel. You should also subscribe if you can, um, make sure you are subscribed if you've been subscribed in the past because YouTube likes to unsubscribe you. Don't forget to like and share if you can do that. Um, we have a new clips channel on YouTube that... Uh, a lot of people, so we've been putting up clips, which, you know, you guys asked for, and I think was a great idea. So we started doing clips for shows, but now they're kind of clogging our channel and we've had people say, well, I only want to, I don't want to pay attention to clips because I watch the shows. Can you move this to a clips channel? So we do have a clips channel now. It's impossible to find. So what we did was we made a redirect. So you can go to unsafespace.com slash clips and you'll get taken to the YouTube clips channel now. Uh, and you can subscribe there if you want clips. Subscribe to the Clips channel, and we're going to keep putting them on this channel for a little while, but eventually we're going to stop, and they'll only be on the Clips channel. Yeah. You guys, you could be in it on the ground floor of the Clips channel. I think we don't even have 50 subscribers yet. It's an so exciting you be- opportunity. You could get in on the ground floor of the Clips channel. Uh, oh, wait. We also have book clubs coming up. We have on um, November 22nd, we've got the Club for Management of Savagery by Max Blumenthal. And on December 20th, The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein. So, if you like And to actually, read. sometime this week, sometime before the election, we're trying to get out an interview we pre-recorded with David yes. Raboy, who is a national security policy advisor and just a wealth of information of things that are completely outside my knowledge base. So it's it was so, so interesting, and I think it was just appropriate that it happened right when we're doing this book, too. Yeah, so. he's a super interesting guy and kind of like a renaissance man. He's a bodybuilder and a, like a jazz 
dude and mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. <laughs> national security expert policy expert yeah. so uh just kind of a kind of a cool guy and fun to talk to so yeah we'll get that out um i'm shooting for at least monday but if we can do it before then it, we, it might be a weekend release just because i want i want it out before the election so um yeah what else do we have any other housekeeping things that i'm forgetting carrie uh, yeah. In addition to support, if you want to support the show, you can go to unsafespace.com and donate. You can like and share videos and you can also, we have merchandise. We have a t-shirt with Carter's face on it. And, uh, yeah, we have some other cool stuff coming out that you guys recommended. So thank you. Yes. Actually. Yeah. We have, um, what do we have now? We, we, we did a couple other shirts. I don't remember what they were anymore. I don't remember. It's okay. Oh, we have mostly peaceful riots shirts. If you want mostly peaceful okay. riots mostly and peaceful uh, riot. and a couple others that I just don't remember. Yeah. So, but you can check them out at unsafespace.com. All right, Carrie, I'm back. I'm sorry that I missed you on Monday. We had Monday and Tuesday no power, um, and I had a generator, but it turns out that uh, Xfinity didn't have power, so I didn't have internet. So that wasn't super helpful. <laughs> I mean, the power was nice to have. Uh, because of the generator, but it didn't help me with my internet. So I've, I I kind of feel like I had all the stuff I wanted to talk about on Monday, and yeah, I didn't get a chance to talk about it. But I'll, I'll most of it, I'll, most of it is old, so I'll forget about it. But I do want to talk about Thanksgiving because I know it's a while away. But if you're in California, I do want to share the tips with you. They're not, they're really, you know, when you know when you get a guideline, but then it's mandatory because you live in a communist country. Yes. That's that's what we have. And I do want to share it with you guys because um Carrie, I think you'll really I think you'll really appreciate it. Um hold that, on, I got to do yeah. one equipment thing. So while you're pulling this up, it's not just yep. California. I heard yesterday from Mike Carlo that they uh that De Blasio also has put out these Thanksgiving Day <laughs> government of course he has the government is telling them how to celebrate thanksgiving so it's yeah yeah, yeah well you know uh once you have the ring of power it's hard to let go so here we go <clears throat> the california department of public health now by the way this is just the same state for those of you who who haven't lived in the People's Republic of California, just as a reminder, this is the same state in which our governor recently told us to put your mask back on in between bites. Because <laughs> that's very important. So here we go. Um, let's see. They're going to give us this guidance. Oh, good. I'm, I'm glad it's guidance. They said it was guidance. Guidance. Uh, okay. It applies to private gatherings. Oh, okay. That's odd. Oh, and all other gatherings that aren't covered by other guidance are prohibited. So every get-together you could possibly have is controlled by us. Okay. Oh, oh, but the guidance is mandatory requirements. Hmm. So thank you for the Orwell speak. Uh, your guidance is mandatory. Okay, got it. Oh, and, and by the way, if you don't think this is enough, local mayor or city, city council, you can do more. You could be more restrictive <laughs> if you want to. Oh, gosh. Uh, because this isn't restrictive enough. So let's just take a look. I just highlighted some of the fun stuff. Uh, attendance. Gatherings that include more than three households are prohibited. So can't have the cousins over. More than three, not allowed. Um, th- 
The host should collect names of all attendees and contact information in case contact tracing is needed later. Also, uh, in case in case the Stasi want to recruit you, you'll have some experience already you can put on your resume. You can say, I hosted Thanksgiving in California. And Yeah, here it's like, <laughs> hey, Uncle Bert, could you, I just stop over here for a second. Can I take your temperature? Would you also mind writing down your name and social security number? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I'd like to. Yeah. <laughs> what qualifications do you have for the secret police? Well, I lived in California and I held three different Thanksgivings under Gavin Newsom. Okay. Um, outdoors. Gatherings that occur outdoors are significantly safer. So all gatherings must be held outside. That's right. Thanksgiving is outside. You can go inside to use the restrooms. Don't worry. Um, now, if you have to go to a park and there's multiple gatherings at the park, uh, mixing between the groups <laughs> is not allowed. And don't think you can cheat by breaking up your group into multiple gatherings because we'll catch you. Additionally, okay, multiple gatherings I'd of like three households cannot be jointly organized or coordinated. I'd like to I'd like to talk for a second about the uh, Thanksgiving Day story, like the story, the allegory, the story that we talk about, about the Indians and the pilgrims coming together to break bread. And it's a story that is meant to tell us about unity and and community. And and this is sort of like, hey, guess what, pilgrims? Don't be don't be sharing any turkey with the Indians like you guys. It's don't, exactly. Don't, that. Don't, yes. No mixing, guys. I know that. But these are what do they say? These this is a new world. We live in a new world. Yeah. Yeah. No mixing. Well, let's see what else they say, because there's more. There's more. Um, all right. Don't attend if you feel sick. Whatever. OK. Practice physical distancing. The space must be large enough so that everyone at the gathering can maintain at least a six-foot physical distance from others at all times. <laughs> Seating must provide at least six feet of distance in all directions, front to back, side to side, between different households. So uh, your picnic table is probably not six feet wide, so not going to work. You're outside, but you're going to have to – you'll be across the yard yelling at each other. Um as much as possible, any food or beverages at outdoor gatherings must be in single-serve disposable containers. But plastic straws are illegal, and all plastic is bad, and plastic bags are illegal, and we hate all plastic because we're San Francisco. But you must use single-serve disposable containers made of cow dung. I don't know. Okay. Um, Self-serve items from communal containers should not be used. Right. So you can't pass the mashed potatoes. That's not allowed. Uh, wearing a face covering. When gathering... Face coverings must be worn. You you may remove them to eat or drink. That's thank you, thank you, <laughs> you government. May. You may you, may re, you can if you need to sustain yourself and put nourishment into your face hole. You may remove your mask briefly. Briefly, you can move it. Uh, also, by the way, we feel like we should say this because we we literally own every aspect of your life and your body. So just to be clear. You can remove it for urgent medical needs because I know you wouldn't have if we didn't say that you were allowed to. So you are. If you're dying, you can remove it uh, only if doing so uh, can help save your life. Gathering should be less than two hours. Okay. 
Thank you. So no football. I don't know. They've I don't watch a, football they've anymore. They've got a time. Okay. Why? How? How could they possibly justify having because a time limit? because it's all it's risk, Carrie, and the only acceptable oh, risk gosh. is literally zero. So well, the the more minutes you spend together, the more likely the virus floats around and lands on your nose. So absurd. I mean, imagine <laughs> the thing is not. This is sort of we we're talking lately about how the government and the media, the media especially. Oh my gosh! But the the local governments that are on board with this narrative and this manufacturing of hysteria, that they are continually gaslighting us in a way because they're they're proposing things that are absurd and that they know are, they know this is absurd and so do we. But we're all supposed to pretend like it's not. Like we're going to gather on Thanksgiving, we're going to take down all of our relatives' information and make a little you know, list of them to turn over to the government and then, and that we're going to be putting our mask on in between bites and maintaining six feet of distance and all this stuff. And then, and then we're going to have set a timer for two hours, you know, maybe set it for an hour and a half. So we get some warning of guys, we've got 30 minutes left of Thanksgiving, wrap it up guys. Like nobody's right. going to do that. Right. And they know that. <laughs> hey, Timmy is choking. Are we allowed to remove his mask? I don't know. I haven't read the guidelines. Go get uh, the memo, kids. I don't know. Get, get Gavin's memo. <laughs> can we can we save him? All right. Uh, so last thing to point out about this, because just I, this is my favorite. Actually, some of the other ones are my favorite, but this is a good one. <laughs> because of this, the, singing is bad. Let's just summarize. Singing, bad. Because of this, singing, <laughs> chanting, and shouting are strongly discouraged. Uh, Which, so many households can't actually interact without shouting at each other. So that's going to be tough. And, and no uh, singing. If you are going to sing or chant, you're encouraged to do so quietly. <laughs> <laughs> and also, also, in case you thought maybe we'll just have music, no wind instruments. <laughs> no wind instruments. And your band needs to be all from the same, from one of the three houses. You can't have other people. So... Um, no wind <laughs> instruments and only family bands. So I, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, this, this is, this is like, it's like absolutely no clarinets or trombones paid for by the American guitar makers association. You know it's like, <laughs> what they seem to be selectively, uh, calling some instruments to the carpet and then, <laughs> well, you know, because you blow into the clarinet and the air comes out the other side and. It's all coronavirus up. Uh, so, <laughs> think, think <laughs> so you quietly. just when you thought the brownouts were the worst, or, I'm sorry, the the power outages of color were the worst <laughs> part of living in California. <laughs> they released this. It's not the worst part, actually. Uh, the worst part is, is is this Thanksgiving. Um, I did. Thanks, government. I, uh, I'm sorry. You, I, even the Karens, even the Karens out there. I know there's Karens out there. Is this the world you want to live in? Is this the world? Is this is this your idea of good government? This is what you they, want? Harder they do because they get off on controlling people and telling people what to do. They love this stuff. Well, you, I'm you, happy to control them if that's what they it. want. No, but they want to be the ones controlling, and they love it. They love rules. They love enforcing them. They love reporting you, and we don't follow the rules. It's like we all know that personality type. <laughs> that personality type has been emboldened during this. They love it. Oh, um, yeah. I, Mostly yeah. that personality type used to have to run for office, but now uh, they can be a little snitches. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
No, all instruments like, matter. Someone said in chat to you, all instruments all. matter. <laughs> not, not the oboe. <laughs> no, um, yeah. That racist. <clears throat> oh, so I bet there's something racist I, about this. I bet there's a disproportionate amount of wind instrument playing in some demographic that we could point to and say this is a racist uh, thing. Like, I, I, I'll make the case like trumpets and trombones are more jazz and therefore uh, more likely to be in the black community. And therefore, this is a racist rule. Can we, yeah. can we do that? Probably do that. Hey, Let's try that. pull up this image I just sent you. Oh, okay. I know you've seen it, but I just want to show people because I had a good, <laughs> I had a good laugh. And, Must die, I, just, Carrie. Yes, but there's two images here. I want to. Which I one do you want first? Which one do you want first? First, show me uh, you, the one that. So our friend Obeid Omer, and if you guys aren't familiar with Obeid, you should check him out on Twitter. He's really interesting, insightful, very intelligent dude. We we got to talk to him once about the diff the differences and the similarities between social justice ideology and Islam. But anyway, Obeid was cracking me up because I said I wanted to escape you, escape Carter from from mm -hmm. California. And he did this. <laughs> and it made me laugh so hard. It's Snake Plissken. For anybody who's not up to date on Escape from LA, which you it's been a lot how many years has it been? You should watch it if you haven't yet. It's been a long time. It's been a while. It's been a while yeah. since I've watched it. Yeah. And so then that first of all, that's what I thought you were gonna come dressed as today. And then secondly, <laughs> <laughs> I do not own clothes that look like that. And uh, I do have a revolver that looks kind of like that, but I don't have a scope for my <laughs> revolver. <laughs> and then this just made me laugh. I, I just wanted to share this because I it made me start thinking because of Obeyed. You know, I started thinking. Wow, they should re really redo um, Escape from L.A. for the modern times. It's like Snake Plissken is back and he's more rebellious than ever. Watch as he celebrates Thanksgiving and plays the oboe <laughs> <laughs> and operates a small business and goes to church and pays his taxes. So rebellious, infuriating the governor, Snake Plissken. You know, like what all the things that were once considered boring and normal and traditional are now – the counterculture there's like the, the revolutionary they're the actual resistance it's sort of that's you couldn't be more and he's doing it all while not wearing a mask oh my god <laughs> i think they would have to rename him to like newt pliskin but okay <laughs> I really salamander pliskin <laughs> Watch as he as he sings loudly, sings loudly at Thanksgiving dinner, and, and he sits five and a half feet across from Grandma. Dun dun dun! Yeah, dun, dun. he celebrates for two and a half hours. <laughs> oh my gosh! I don't know why. It made me laugh. Anyway, thank you, Obey. Someone, Pirate Tomsky says, "Rebel without a mask." <laughs> <laughs> oh man I yeah love, i love that movie yeah it's a okay. good it's a good movie it's a good movie. um i like uh kurt russell generally yeah i do too you know who i miss who? um what's his face shit uh the guy in roadhouse patrick swayze oh yeah patrick he swayze. was so good i liked mm. him yeah yeah but Child of the 80s. Let's do a couple <laughs> super chats before we okay. <laughs> we move on from okay. praising California. Uh, 
<laughs> Piratomsky. Thank you, Piratomsky. He says, future Thanksgivings must be diverse and inclusive with members of each race slash gender slash orientation, or it will be banned. Gavin, Gavin Newsom. <laughs> You're kidding, Piratomsky, but this, I yeah. totally, totally, that if yeah. they could pull that off, they would do that. That that would absolutely be a requirement. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can. Have you had a gay experience? Well, you better have one before Thanksgiving or you're not invited. <laughs> okay, I got the next one. Tatiana Fist. Thank you, okay. Tatiana. Good to see you. She says, just saying hi and I love you all. Gotta go soon. Bye, lady. Have a happy Halloween. Um, and then... I don't think we have too many the more. I just wanted one. to jump through them. Here you go. Another Tatiana one. You see it? I do brings joy. Yeah. Everything you can't do brings joy and meaning to life. But if you riot, that's just fine. Yeah, exactly. They're like, don't enjoy mingling with your extended family. Don't make sure it doesn't last too long. Don't sing with them. Don't play these instruments with them. Don't meet the other families at the park. Don't do it's like every like don't have joy, don't have joy, don't have joy. But hey, go riot, cool. Right, but you can stand next to sweaty throngs of other people and throw your fists into the air and spit all over each other screaming about the police. That's fine. <clears throat> Mandy. You wanna do Mandy? It's our favorite Russian bot. You do it. I don't yeah. Mandy says, do you believe in the paranormal? Have you ever seen a ghost or had a supernatural experience? I don't know who she's talking to. I'll let you answer first because your answer will be more interesting than mine. Oh, I like this question out of left field. Do I believe in the paranormal? Um, well, well, yeah, I guess, I guess I would probably be a paranormal agnostic, meaning I believe there's a lot of things I don't know and that I don't have the capacity to understand as a human. So, um, ghosts, sure. It's not, I don't definitively say yes or no. I have no idea. So I don't know if that's a satisfying answer, but there's definitely been things in my life or times where I felt, um, something sort of uncanny that I couldn't really explain. And maybe that had to do with God. Maybe it had to do with what might be called a ghost. I don't know. My answer is no. Okay, uh, <laughs> that's just my answer. Oh, Carrie hung up after that one. Look at that, guys. She hung up on me. Hold on, I don't even know how to answer this. Uh, let's see. <laughs> you just didn't like my answer, you just hung up. Uh, I have a poor connection today, apparently. <laughs> what was your answer, no? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> No, I was. I just said no, and you were like, "Boom, gone." I was like, "Wow, that <laughs> yeah, was more triggering than I thought." I guess. <laughs> I, I, of course, that's what you. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me that you. Of course, would I would be say so no. definitively no. Yeah, no, I guess I'm. I don't more because because by definition, paranormal like it it implies supernatural things. So I don't like no. I don't. Are there things we don't understand? Yes. Uh, are there things that violate the laws of physics that are mystical? No. So. Uh, that doesn't. Dion says maybe mind. a poltergeist hung up on her. <laughs> now, now I believe oh, okay. Carter, it was a ghost. No, we, no, we're, no. You're saying no. We're you. What? That's not how I define paranormal. Like that's what I mean. Is there are things I don't understand, and some of sure. those things are probably called paranormal. Well, but like ghosts, like you know, they're clearly supernatural things, right? The, the, the 
ghost is ghost is a separate thing. Like if you said, <clears throat> do you believe in ESP? I would say no. But I do believe that there's a lot of nonverbal communication that certain people can pick up on signals better than other people, probably, because um, that's prob there's probably there's some science behind that. Um, and if we explored that science, you might find like and we have started to explore it, micro expressions and that kind of thing. Like some people's intuitions, you can start to unravel why some people can kind of tell and sense things about other people. But in the past, that would just be like spiritual sensing and like that would have been attributed to paranormal you know, activity but there is spiritual sensing and here's, here's i know you would say that, that i'm just saying yeah it's a different so answer than friends, me <laughs> like yesterday i reached out to someone and was and was just like hey would you mind saying a prayer for me i'm struggling with this one thing you know and this friend was like oh my gosh you've been on my mind for the past two days i've been meaning to call it that always happens to me there's always these weird and i remember this study when i was in school and now you have to bear with me this is just my recollection. This is from over 20 years ago. So, and I've been meaning to try and find it and verify that this was something I learned about. But I remember this study, this really weird study that they were talking about how in the 60s, um, the, I think it was Russians, they, they did, because they, they were doing some kind of paranormal, <clears throat> you know, working with LSD and all this other stuff. And they did this study where they took um, a mother rabbit out on a ship and they had her hooked up to, you know, check her vitals, or whatever. And then on the shore, they like killed her baby rabbits, and mm -hmm. and that they noticed a physical, physiological, it seemed like a physiological response from her when they were killing her. Right, baby but rabbits. if that was real, it could be repeated a bazillion times, and we would have lots of studies about it, and we would have studied what the mechanism behind <laughs> it is. It, it's just a bunch of shit because it can't be repeated, and we don't have a bunch of studies. So like it. That can be tested. And every single time any of these things is put to a scientific test with double-blind experiments and repeatability, it fails. Every single time. They always fail. If they didn't fail, we would have science behind it and people saying, oh, yes, there is some mechanism we don't understand. I want a government grant to start exploring the mechanism by which baby rabbits are connected to mother rabbits. There's a mechanism. And we would explore it. Um, so that's all. Well... You and I will not find agreement on this, so. I know. We don't have to. Yeah, okay. okay. <clears throat> uh, wait, let's do one more super chat and then we can move on. Why Bother says, uh, and also we can't have joy from video games. Woke Game Police thinks we don't. <clears throat> right. Well, uh, I think the video game, video games were attacked before knitting even, <laughs> before everything. Video games were, I think that's where Milo rose to fame, was reporting on Gamergate. Um, yeah. And, uh. That's and actually, I, I guess video games and my understanding is science fiction were both two very, very early targets, probably because they're predominantly male um, and yeah. maybe even white male. So you got to go after the baddies first. <clears throat> I don't know. OK, so let me let me tell you this game I've been playing. That's not woke. That's fun. Okay. I have an old system. I have an Xbox 360. It's really old. And I got I, I get. Some new games don't play in my system. So anyway, I got this used game that I guess is from 2012. I'm just looking it up. Yeah, it's kind of old now. It's called Far Cry 4. I've been playing this one occasionally. And the storyline is that it takes place in this like fictional country in, in the Himalayas. And you're basically a part of this rebel army that's fighting back against this communist totalitarian government you know, regime. 
And you're basically, of course, you're killing bad guys. You're killing soldiers who are part of this uh, totalitarian government. But you're also pulling down propaganda posters right. and shutting down r- propaganda radio from the state. And okay. all the all these things that I'm playing this game like yeah. this has some modern day applications. Like posters <laughs> that say science is settled and there's 82 genders. Right, right. You're pulling down <laughs> propaganda and you're destroying propaganda centers. And yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of a fun storyline anyway. If nobody's well, if nobody's played that. Yeah. Um, Helena Black says uh, she gives us five bucks and says gaming is largely the front lines of the woke battle. Is it still? I don't know. I mean, I know it was. Uh, I don't know anything about whether it's still the front. I'm not a huge gamer. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know. Also, uh, Carrie, often Mellon sends a super chat and says, love this channel. In Austin, you are not alone, Carrie. There are many of us, Aww. especially in Christ, who feel the same way you do. That's good to know. Austin, so nice to meet you. And no. your name is Austin, or Austin Mellon. Anyways, or, very or nice to meet you. Or their username is Austin Mellon. Yeah, I've been meeting more people in my area who are watching the show now. Isn't that kind of cool? And awesome. um, and just in general, meeting more people who are, are wrong thinkers. And a lot of them who are like me coming from the left, a prog- people who I would still put squarely in the progressive camp or the liberal camp who are voting Trump in some cases, um, or at the very least not voting for the Democrats and have are awake, are waking up. And that's been really encouraging. I mean, I, hmm. I know I'm, I know I'm more likely to meet those people in general that my perception is probably skewed because of what we do on this show and what I talk about and write about whatever. Sure. I'm more likely to meet people on the left who are leaving the left, but, um, and or leaving you're more the like have party. things thrown at you by the other people on the left. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but it's, but to meet people in real life and not just online who that's true for. And just randomly sometimes that's really interesting to me. Cause I think it's a, my gut tells me it's a much bigger movement than, well, certainly it's a much bigger movement than the Democrats are pretending it is. They're pretending yes. it's not a thing. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's true, but we'll see on Tuesday. I mean, we're getting pretty close. Um, <clears throat> Carrie, can I uh, can I bitch about something? Somebody says that they saw me in Austin and I and they oh. waved and I flipped them off. What? <laughs> that's not that didn't happen. That was back when she was an SJW. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <I don't>, what? <laughs> um, <clears throat> what yeah, I'm gonna say? I'm gonna bitch about something. It's okay. not that much of a bitch, but I want – no, it's not – all right, not much of a bitch. I want to point something out that uh, – I know we've talked about this before, but there's an example that that I ran into the other day. So when power was out, I'm playing around with the radio. I don't listen to the radio much, but the elections are coming up, and I live in the Bay Area, and everyone listens to NPR, and – I was playing with low power things. I can't, you know, I can't use Pandora because the internet wasn't working. So I had, I was playing around with the radio and I, I put on NPR because I was like, oh, I want, I wonder what they're talking about on. N- <laughs> I didn't really have to wonder. I view, by the way, I view NPR as, as the concern trolling ministry of the cathedral. Like they like, <laughs> they go out and like, oh, we're, we're very concerned about the state of things and we're, we're very objective. And what, but what about this thing? They're just concerned trolls. Oh, That's all they they're are. All, they always imagine that they're always pushing their glasses up. Like we're just, <laughs> yeah. just reporting on the state of, we're not yeah, adding yeah. to the hysteria. We're just alarmed. 
Yes, we're, yes we're, we're, we have no bias ourselves. We're just going to ask the following questions. Um, and we're going to find they, – they're also masters. I mean, I mean NPR is really good at finding um, emotional – like emotional stories that tug at your heartstrings and embedding in those stories the premise that the government needs to do something about this. Um, and acting like that's not a position to take, that that's just the natural thing. So they're going to tell you the story and, you know, and all the soccer moms are like, oh, my God, that person's so sad. They knew I'm voting. Right. That's, that's their goal. Um, so anyway, and they're very good at it. But uh, the condescension, I just want people to understand regular, like normal Americans, normal people, the condescension that is embedded in the we'll call them. Uh, the congregation of the cathedral, the, the people, the elites in the media, the condescension is constant. And there's one story, just one of many, and this is just a minor example of it, but it struck me listening to this because it really bothered me. And this story is, you know, I'll, I'll show you, there's a transcript, fortunately. NPR is good at putting okay. all their crap online. So, you like transcripts. I yeah. give them that. Yeah. Wisconsin Daily Farmer weighs in on the election. So, of course, they have to cover people who like Trump when the election is coming up because they have to uh, like, again, concern trolls. They can't just be like ob they can't be super obvious. So they've got to be like, we're talking to Trump supporters also. And we're going to ask them questions just like the questions we would never ask Biden supporters. So um, so they she goes into this thing and she's going to talk to a Wisconsin dairy farmer. And. Okay. She, the 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 host is Noel King, and I you know we can skip over. I'm I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna read some parts. She asks him about um, the price of milk and and trade deals and blah blah blah. And so then she says, so so she she starts to. He's not he's not giving her answers that are like directly leading her to show how bad Trump is. So she starts to push the conversation a little bit. He says he voted for Trump. So she's okay. So she says. I wonder what you thought at the moment that President Trump started the trade war with China and said China's taking advantage of us. I'm going to do something about it. Do you, do you think at the time that it could affect my business? So, she, okay, so she's wanting like, oh, good, there's something that's like, I'm, he's something bad about Trump, right? He's affected your business. Um, right. And he says, no, I was a little nervous, but, you know, he's, he's doing a great job. He's building relationships and I'm happy. I'm happy with Trump is his answer roughly. Okay. So she's unsatisfied with this. Did you see your bottom line <laughs> start to take a hit? <laughs> no <laughs> he says no aren't. okay all right so now she's this is not good for her okay so it sounds like over the past four years your main problem that you've had has been on the pandemic so now she's got to switch all right well, what about covid we all know trump is responsible for covid right um she asked about subsidies did you get some yeah i got them okay so so then now she's got us okay well let me ask you about the argument that if president trump had handled covid better if they'd been honest up front and said this virus is dangerous, it's more dangerous than the flu, then we might have seen things turn oh, out better. Gosh. Is there any part of you, any part of you that thinks President Trump has mishandled this in any way? Oh, that, that's not a leading question at all, NPR. Don't worry. So his answer pisses her off. Not really. <laughs> that's how he starts his answer. <laughs> not really. Hey, doing the best he could with the information he had. All right. So then... <laughs> So then she says, okay, well, you must just be ignorant. I've got to show my audience. Do you know anyone who's died of COVID or who's gotten very sick? Yeah, we've known people who've gotten COVID. And blah, blah, blah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, but no, no one actually died. Okay. She asked about kids, blah, blah, blah. 
So then she says, okay, I'm going to switch a different tactic. I'm going to switch to a different tactic. COVID's not working. In the last four years, I think you could argue fairly, the country has become more divided. There are people who look at the way the president talks, linking those two, right? Divided equals president's fault, right? There are people who look at the president sending federal troops into the streets of some U.S. critics, and they say, I don't like what's going on here. You know, what do you think about this notion that he's actually not good for the United States? Like, again, you are you sure? Every question so far is like, are you sure you like Trump? Are you sure? Yeah, every Wait, every question is also leading. Right. Like she's putting she's putting a narrative in the question itself. <laughs> right. There, right. There's a presupposition there in every question, like in the narrative and the question I'm asking you, I'm going to place the blame for COVID at Trump's feet. What do you think about it being his fault? You know, it's like and yes. in this the same thing. It's sort of uh, I, what about, you know, I'm going to what about place, the divisiveness, which is Trump's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Divisiveness. I'm going to place that at Trump's feet. Like, what do you think about Trump being responsible for device? Like you're building the you're building the presupposition into your question. It's 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 akin to that example people use a lot of when did you stop beating your wife? You're making this assumption. But right. I love that he keeps. OK, let me hear what he says. This, well, this, this, I love my favorite part is when she lets her condescension out, obviously. So he says. Uh, you know, we're living in a world different than a long time ago, but it's constantly changing. I, you know, he basically says he's not blaming Trump. Right. And he says, but when someone starts, you know, protests are good, they're fine. But when someone starts rioting, they need to be held accountable. And there's something needs to be done about that. Right. So again, pissing her off. Who do you think is responsible for it? Then she says, okay. And he says, well, I don't know who would be responsible for that. All that stuff happening. If it's the black lives matter movement or if it's behind all that, I don't know. All right. So this pisses her off. This pisses her off and the con the mask slips and her disdain for people comes out. Yeah. It sounds like as long as it's not in your neck of the woods, you're not terribly curious about what's going on. Oh, my You God. are a fucking podunk piece of shit farmer who can't think beyond, you know, the end of your fields. You don't – you're not curious about what's happening as long as it's not in your backyard. Now, she wraps up the interview shortly after this because his answer is, well – I would not say it's in our neck of the woods down in Kenosha is all this stuff. Like he mentions, he's like, I'm not far from Kenosha. It is in my neck of the woods. You fucking bitch. Uh, and then she basically, so, hey, you know, Hey, swear jar. Sorry, Marie. Uh, anyway, th this, the, the whole thing, I, I was like getting increasingly annoyed with her during this interview. And then when she, when this slipped out and you should listen to the interview if you want and the, the way that she says this, but it's just like, it sounds as if you're just not terribly curious. That is one of the most <laughs> condescending things to say to him. Um, and, and you know, he takes it in stride. He's a, he's a nice guy. He doesn't, he doesn't have a problem with it. But you <laughs> crazy harpy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But th this is I, – I wanted to point it out because this is what they think of you. This is how they think of you. If you disagree with them, you're either ignorant or – just incurious or a buffoon. Like there's something wrong with you. And they're reporting. It, her, this story is not about, gee, why do some people like Trump? Let's dig into that. And Because tomorrow we're going to talk about why some people like Biden. This story is about how stupid do you have to be to like Trump? What are all the, how, what kind of an ignoramus likes Trump? Let's, let's find out. Uh, <laughs> that's their idea of reporting. Okay, let me tell you what I watched because you were looking at NPR and I looked at a Daily Show clip and 
it it seemed reminiscent of the old school Daily Show. The really what I thought was a very good show, the old John Stewart Daily Show, uh, where in in this case they were sending a reporter out, uh, you know, a reporter, a Daily Show reporter, right, right, right. out into the field, and so they sent him to this Trump rally. And I watched it and I didn't find a single part of it funny. And then I tried to evaluate, is it, okay, is the problem in me? Is it that I've become so biased without realizing it that I, like if I were on the left, would I find this funny? And I don't, I honestly sat and thought about it for a while and I don't think I would because unlike the old Daily Show segments where humor, I think humor came first and yeah, they would kind of, make fun of people let they would let people paint themselves into a corner they would they would they used um right. sort of found comedy by just letting people talk and and you know of course cutting it together and editing it together making it funny but it wasn't so ideological or instructive in nature it wasn't it wasn't uh what's the word pedantic what's the word where it's like you're trying to teach is that the uh, right word uh I, I, pedantic can be can be yeah. sort of so, so it wasn't, it wasn't like that. It was, it didn't used to, at least it never felt like as much of a lecture as this one did. This piece was him pointedly trying to paint a portrait of what a Trump voter is like. And I, I couldn't help myself wondering, um, did they do one like this at a Biden rally? And I seriously doubt they did. If, sure. if anybody knows, let me know. But I only saw the one at the Trump rally and they went out of their way to try and paint the Trump voter as this stereotype that they've already created of a Trump voter. So in that way, it, it also wasn't funny because it's just retreading old stereotypes. Like there was nothing new or inventive about it. And I felt right. you're at a Trump rally. You could have made something really funny if you would just let your biases go and let your ideology go for a minute. And and you could have still poked fun of Trump voters and poked fun of Trump, but, but you could have done something that was more, um, uh, in a spirit of joy and and comedy and humor and just all, where where everybody can laugh at it yep. instead of trying to do this piece that is uh, preachy and then kind of um, masked by the pretense of humor, if that makes sense. It, it, yeah, it, it, I, I mean, I, just I, I think you're right. No, I, I think you're right. And as someone who was because I was libertarian slash minarchist and, and, you know, and then than worse for for the last 20 something years i i think i have a more objective perspective on how the comedy has changed here because i was never in agreement with the politics like they they would always they could always make fun of something that i thought because there was always something that i thought that wasn't in line with whatever was the the narrative was right and it was funny like yeah, yeah. they could they could make fun of things that i thought were true yeah. And it was funny. And and they would make fun of things that I that I thought should be made fun of. And that was funny. They could do it in a way that it was funny. But now uh even though I might sometimes they might even be on my side and it's still not funny. Uh but they're very rarely on my side now because they're authoritarian leftists and it's just not funny. Yeah. It's just not funny anymore. Not, it's not funny. It's anymore. like it's not it's you. as if yeah, it's as if the you know, the press at this point is it is a propaganda outlet. We know that it's right. It may as well be controlled by the deep state. And by deep state, I simply mean these unelected government officials who are there forever and guide the, the narrative. It's it's, it might as well be as controlled by the democratic party because they're not going to do anything that pisses off 
the left, you know, that pisses off Joe Biden or anything. So it's almost like state sponsored propaganda in a way, the, the media and the, and the comedy. It's like having the state. Well, it is having it is. The state control. Yeah, it is. I mean, they're not mandate. It's not mandatory, but they are adopting the state perspective. They are adopting the, whatever the, the, the narrative is that the cathedral wants and they're trying to push it. It, yeah, it's yeah. it's almost the same. Let's do a couple of super chats while we're here. Uh, okay. Uh, you look like you want to do something else. Oh no, I was just going to ask you: Is my camera in the right position? I can never tell. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't move too far to the right if you wanted to move an inch to the left, but you're in you're in frame. Okay. Um, Mr. Guy says a friend. Of, thank you, Mr. Guy. He says a friend of mine, a friend who argued with me trying to translate woke into liberalese for years, had his woke breaking point this morning. It happens. Oh, good. Good. So he's abandoning yeah. wokeness because it just isn't liberal. <laughs> good. Uh, hey, one other thing I wanted to say as you're mm. pulling up the next super chat, I wanted yeah. to say about Trump, Trump rallies and Trump people is that in the past four years, as I've gotten to know more Trump voters and and see more of like what, you know, the Trump community is like, they have a really good sense of humor about themselves. They seem to anyway, more than the left does. They're able to laugh not only at themselves, but also at Trump. So again, you're sort of wasting an opportunity where you could figure out how to do skillful comedy where, where laughter, the most laughter is, is what's important. You can figure out how to do that in a way that that includes them in the joke. But they're not. They're lazy. Right. You know? Right. Anyway. Yeah, no. And and if you look, they don't have um, – they don't actually have a sense of humor because when Trump makes jokes, which he does a lot, they – they it's always like very serious for them. They never get the joke and they report on it like it's a real thing and they're very upset by it. Um, by the way, Rodney and chat – Thank you for the word pedagogic. You can stop now. Yeah. I appreciate I see it. it. Uh, we saw oh, it. I was just about to say that is you. a better word. Pedagogy is, is better. Um, so good. Pedagogic. Uh, okay. Austin Mellon gives us five bucks uh, and doesn't say anything just for being in Austin, I guess. So <laughs> you are a little bit out of frame now. You moved to the right, which is the opposite of what I told you to do. So <laughs> I can't figure this out. <laughs> Your left shoulder. Point to your left shoulder you, and move there. You need to see more of this. Yeah. Okay. Is that better? No. Did I go the wrong way? Oh, yeah. I need you to move that way, not not see more of that way. I need you to move in the direction. Sorry, that was my fault. I gave you the wrong instructions. So. How's that? Yeah, that's better. better. <laughs> you can still go a little bit more if you want to. Paratomsky says, swear, he gives us, uh, gives us five pounds and says, sweary jar, Sweary rant jar funds. Thank you. Thank um, you. Mandy, Mandy says, Carter, use bliad. You know, I looked it up. Mandy, bliad means whore. Um, I think I should use dirmo, which is shit, which is better. Although in the context of what I was saying, bliad was probably better, uh, better swear. But, you know, I'm learning Russian. Thank you. Thank you, Mandy. <laughs> Thank you, Mandy. <laughs> Soon I can be called the Russian bot legitimately. Okay. Um... Columbus Cynic 
gives us 50 bucks. Thank you, Columbus Cynic. And says, for the Carter Swear Jar, good, good, let the truth flow. <laughs> I'm, I do try not to swear, but thank you. Uh, hey, you don't want to incentivize me, though. If swearing gives me 50 bucks, I'll just I'll just start swearing a lot. Um, Joseph Sorty. Thank you, Joseph. Joseph gives us uh, five bucks and says, NPR, National Public Radio, the government-subsidized radio station of coastal elites. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, so. Your tax dollars okay. at work. <laughs> Your tax dollars at work. All right, I think we're... Almost Are we caught done. up? Uh, there might be one more. Uh, Kent, a new oh, I see it. I'll read it. Kent, thank you. He, he asks, Carrie, what is the source of that liberal meanness? Um, well, first of all, uh, just one caveat. I wouldn't call it, I, as you, you guys know, but I don't call it liberal because I think they've taken that word and they're trying to pervert that word. And I don't consider, they're illiberal. These leftists are illiberal. So that's just a caveat I would make is I personally don't like using the word liberal to describe them because they're not. They believe in censorship. They believe in violence. You know, they're they're they don't seemingly oppose war anymore. Like this is a leftist totalitarianism kind of belief system. Um, and I think I think the more that we make that separation, that it might help other liberals like myself to wake up and to realize, hey, I don't because so many people have their identity wrapped up in their political beliefs or their philosophy or whatever. And I think it might help liberals to wake up and say, no, I don't have to re reject liberalism. I just have to reject this other thing that's not liberalism, you know? So that's why that's very important to me to make that distinction. But I know what you're asking. What's the source of that meanness from, you know, this authoritarian left? And I, I, this is such a long answer, but I'll try to make it short. We, we've talked about this before. We just got to do an interview that aired uh, yesterday with the hosts of the canceled the podcast, Desma and Rob. It, I love those guys. If you haven't checked it out yet, go watch it. They have a really interesting podcast where they talk to people who are canceled. But in the midst of it, we were asking Desma, you know, wh where does the desire come from to join one of these cancel mobs and to hurt people and harm, try to harm them and try to harm their business. And we were sort of talking about the psychological origins of it and how, you know, she was saying, I think a lot of these people have been hurt in their life. Like they've experienced some kind of trauma and, and it hasn't been resolved. <clears throat> and I'm going to quit putting words in her mouth. I'm just going to speak for me now. But that was definitely the case for me. I put a lot of mm -hmm. my anger about things that had happened to me in my life into this belief system and into you're projecting it. You're, you're, it, it feels much easier to hate Bush, for example. I hated Bush. I hated so I hated Bush so much. I had like you see today with the Trump TDS people. I was like a precursor to that. I had anti-Bush bumper stickers. I had it on buttons on my army surplus bag. I had it uh, on my clothing. I joined a running club called Run Against Bush, where a bunch of us joggers would get together and just jog out our anger against Bush and wear anti-Bush shirts. I I I was livid and. In some ways, if you think about it psychologically, it helps to put whatever unresolved issues you have in, in this this anger or resentment or frustration, to put it in this this other thing, this this exterior thing that you can't do anything about. You don't have any control over that. And think about psychologically what a trick that is, because 
Because if you can focus on hating all these people or this political party or, you know, whatever it is, whatever this big boogeyman is that you've created that you can't do anything about, really, then you don't have to do, look inward and figure out what it is that you need to fix or resolve. You know, mm. you don't have to solve those things, which is a lot harder and scarier than just just pointing your finger at something else and saying, I hate that, you know. So I don't know if that makes sense. I, I, as an atheist, I want to give an unex, maybe an unexpected atheist answer. But when I look at history and I look at, um, you know, you can compare what's happening now in the United States to a mild version of uh, behavior uh, during the Russian Revolution, um, behavior during the communist or sorry, the um, Mao's cultural revolution in China. Um, you can look at the even the Nazis to some extent, right? Some of the, the, the how they're behaving. In all of those cases, all of the people wishing to push this ideology or wishing to get people stirred up to behave this way, wishing to get the masses whipped up into a frenzy where they would be they could be pointed at enemies and just mm -hmm. just destroy the enemy without any remorse and with a sense of moral righteousness. All of those movements, and probably others in history that I'm not aware of, um, they first they first had to dismantle religion. Like even in Mao's China, like they went after the Buddhists. They burned the Buddhist yeah. temples. They went after the religion. It wasn't Christianity, but they still needed to go after religion. The Nazis went after yeah. religion. The Soviets went after religion. They all went after religion. And I think the through line is in in most religions, Look, there it's a it teaches you to focus on changing yourself. You're viewed as flawed and your your focus is inward on things that are dissatisfying to you. The focus is is it turns the focus inward and says, well, okay, well, how can you improve? How can you change? Or or in some religions are more like give it up and let God do it, but it's not, it, it turns it inward. It doesn't turn yeah. it outward. It doesn't blame everyone else. Um, yes. And, and I don't think religion is necessary for that. Um, because I know atheists who don't do that. And I'm one of them. I don't blame everyone else. Um, however, it's uncommon and you do need a philosophy that doesn't allow you to do that. And sans that philosophy, you just eradicate religion. People are going to resort to, the kind of it's a childlike mentality where when something doesn't go your way or something is bothering you it's an external cause not an internal cause and um i so i think i think actually they could not have accomplished where we are today without first destroying religion and even if you look at this spirituality people they're spiritual, but when they say they're like, uh, trust me, I'm in California. When people say they're spiritual but not religious, it doesn't mean anything related to introspection. Usually, sometimes it does. Sometimes there's sometimes a it does, people. but often but for a lot of people it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, often it's just like, eh, yeah, I believe in some kind of whatever thing. But most of these people don't have any firmly held religious beliefs, or they've abandoned the core of the religion, and now it's being usurped and they're using it. Um, well, look at what's happening in, in China right now. It's exactly to your point. They oh, right. are attack. They're With attacking Christians. the Uyghur. 
they're attacking the Uyghurs, which are mm-hmm. the, the Muslim mm-hmm. ethnic minority, and they're attacking Christians. Yeah. And there, there's this struggle right now happening with the Catholic Church, communist-approved Catholic Church, and then you have the underground Catholic Church. Yep. Yeah. Because because authoritarians, which is what we're dealing with in both China and the U.S., make no mistake authoritarians can't abide a higher authority. (laughs) Whether that's your conscience or God, they can't abide it. You cannot have a different authority. They can't, they can't abide something that's, that it's, as you pointed out, is, is also causing you to look inwards and do introspection because then they can't manipulate you as well. And so, And so, yes, they're attacking. They're attacking in China. They're attacking the Muslims. They're attacking Christians. And here, they're attacking Christians in a different way. What's interesting to me here is that it's almost like the um, the Yuri Bezmenov warnings that we've heard about, and the Saul Alinsky uh, playbook about a revolution. You know, about rules for radicals. The book is they 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 are attacking Christianity from the outside with overt attacks. On Christians, as if as if Christians are some in their the way that they look at the world as you know as a struggle between identity groups, and so put, they put Christians in one of the oppressor slash privileged groups, and so therefore they feel it's safe to attack them the same way they do white people and men and straight people, and whatever. They're in one of these oppressor groups, so they're attacking Christianity overtly. But along the lines of what Yuri Bezmenov was talking about and what Saul Alinsky wrote about in Rules for Radicals. They're also attacking Christianity from the inside. They're, they've infiltrated. Of course. They're in a lot of the churches, as we've talked about. And so Yuri Bezmenov talked about, you know, and I know we've talked about him a lot on the show. If you haven't seen his videos, you can look them up on YouTube and look at some of his interviews. He's a former KGB operative who talked about ideological subversion in the United States and how it's so much easier to conquer and a nation, conquer a people from the inside, get them to conquer themselves, then you don't have to drop bombs and invade, right? And so they were doing this ideological manipulation and invasion decades ago. We're seeing the fruits of it now, a lot of the fruits of it now. The same things happen in the church. They've moved into the church and they are supplanting the word of God and they're trying to make Christianity somehow, they're trying to present Christianity, true Christianity is, hey, guess what? It's woke. It's SJW ideology. It's Marxism. It's identity politics, Marxism. That's Christianity, right? Like that's destroying the church from the inside. And well, they go to a church, it, right? Yeah. So, so the 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 main thing is social justice, and Christian yeah. Christianity is a tool in the service of social justice. If you can't get them to abandon the religion, if you can get them to turn their religion into a subservient tool of the ideology, yes. that's just just good. In fact, better yes. probably. It's even better because then they, you, you've then the sheep believe that they're still, you know, oh, I'm still a Christian. You right. know, I'm not only do they have virtue no. signaling righteousness, they've also they also believe God's right. on their side. And <laughs> yeah, and you're and gosh, those Christian SJWs are some of the scariest SJWs. Right, because they believe mind. God's on their side. I mean, think about yeah. how. I mean, yeah. they're they're in a they are fighting a crusade, or as the Muslims would say, they're they're having jihadi warfare right now they're they are fighting a jihad and they're actually as you know that this is one of the groups that i have i have the biggest struggle with with cultivating empathy for because 
anyone who's using the word of God, who's perverting the word of God and trying to uh, pollute what Christianity is about and, and portray it as something that it's not. I, I have, I have so much, um, ire <laughs> for that. And so it's hard. Yeah. Anyway, that's my personal struggle. It's like, I can talk to, I can talk to an atheist SJW for longer than I can talk to an SJW who believes they're a Christian. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know what you're trying to push over here, but I think that's that's an even worse. Ver- this ideology is already evil, and now you're making it more evil by trying to cloak it in God's word. That disgusts me. Right, so. because they're corrupting something that you hold dear, so it's like a double offense for you. Yeah, um, and because it yeah. leads people. So social justice ideology already. The reason I call it evil, as you know, is because it is because it takes well-intentioned people who oppose bigotry who oppose racism and sexism and it turns them into foot soldiers for pushing racism and sexism that's why it's evil it uses people to push the very thing they think they're opposing and that's why i i call it's an evil belief system okay it's not even open about what it does and but then on top of that to to take well-meaning people and and get them to go out and push racism sexism and to cloak it in the word of God and say, this is what God wants. That's you. You're taking it to such a new low, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, but, as an atheist, I don't, I, it doesn't offend me more, but I get why it would as a Christian offend you more. Yeah. But in either case, they're using your love of the good, whether it be God or some other good yeah. that you think it is and using it, they're, they're using, mm-hmm. uh, they're using yeah. that love to motivate you to push their ideology, which in all those cases is actually uh, inimical to the values that you claim to care about. But you're not going to notice that until it's too late. And, you know, by that point, either you'll be up against the wall or you'll have given up on your morals because you have too much invested in the ideology. So let's do some more super chats before we move. Yeah, let's do a couple so we get caught up and then then we have to talk about the intercept. Okay, uh, Connor Mack. You see that one, or you want me to do it? I can't see it. You do it. Connor gives us ten bucks and says, "You're smart streaming on Fridays. I get paid every Friday, so you get a slice of every Friday to continue to fight against Aww. Cathedral." And Carter, go read David Ricardo. Uh, I will look him up. Um, thank you. I uh, maybe everyone should just tell us when they get paid, and we'll start streaming on those days. I think that's a great <laughs> strategy. By the way, I apologize. I don't think we have a moderator today. I know Keith is out. I know Beverly's on vacation. I don't even know. I don't think we have anyone moderating today. So uh, you're on your own. You're on your own to fight. Okay. Richard Petz. Richard Petz says, shipwrecked Jack Dorsey's screaming, Wilson, Wilson. He does look like, he. he's like a hippie. He's like more hippie version of... <laughs> Uh, of Tom Hanks. He's but he's got the big long beard and he's got like a nose ring now. He's really, uh, he's really going all he's going all in. I think he needs an intervention. I think he looks like, like a, he's done too much ayahuasca. Is what's happening? Like a That's spiritual just... intervention. You you know you can't be. I mean I don't think anyway you can be a well grounded person when you're that far unmoored from reality and you're contributing to. He gave ten million dollars to Ibram X. Kendi to push more. his it was only 10? 10 million to push his okay. racist ideology. That's like giving 10 million to the Klan. And, and to do that, and I, I, I truly believe a, 
that if you are a well-intentioned person and if you've convinced yourself you are, that deep down there's something that bugs you, that you something's not quite right. You know, you're off. You're not really grounded. Well, if you just that, keep that taking ayahuasca, you'll find yeah. what that is. Keep going, Jack. <laughs> just keep right. breaking your brain and eventually you'll figure it all out. Uh, by the way, sorry, Chris. Chris, Chris, our moderator, is in chat. I just didn't see him in the scroll before, but he's here. So oh. it's not a free-for-all. You can't get away with whatever you want. Chris will bring the hammer down. Okay. Uh, Pirate Tomsky. Pirate Tomsky gives us five pounds and says, Carrie, I've never heard an answer to this. What is the ideal world of the woke? Is it Marxism, communism, something else? What is the end game? Okay. We talked about that, but... Yeah, we did, but I'm going to answer it because we actually yeah. talked about it in the interview we pre-recorded yesterday. So uh, I don't think most social people who push social justice, like the foot soldiers, the people that you know, you know, and your family or friends, the people on social media, I don't think they've given a lot of thought to it. They have, they haven't, they're, they're not really thinking about what the end goal is because this ideology tells them the fight is never over. So they're sort of just focused on the fight itself. It, it's, they're telling you that, the world is inherently racist and sexist and all this ists, you know. And so you wake up every day with these magic pair of social justice glasses that color the world for you. And you're constantly looking for the racism and sexism and everything and the homophobia and the transphobia and that, you know, you're you're constantly looking for it. They don't give them an end goal at which point it's over. That's, That's why intentional, biggest- though. That's intentional because they're always fighting. They can always manipulate these people and use them if if the fight is never over. One of the biggest questions that stumps social justice people that I've asked is um, at what measurable end goal? Because they like to say, you know, racism is prejudice plus power or sexism is prejudice plus power. And we know why they're really doing that, okay, because they're trying to make racism against white people acceptable that and something that good intention people are willing to do. They're trying to make sexism against men acceptable and something that good intention people are willing to do. That's why they're changing those definitions. But but the people who believe it and preach it, they don't they don't recognize that. They think they're really helping to end racism and sexism by preaching this new definition, you know. And if you ask them, okay, by what measurable end goal, according to your definition of racism or sexism, at what measurable end goal will things be equal between the sexes or between the races? And and then at that point, racism will be possible towards white people or sexism will be possible towards men. How do we measure that and what's the goal? They have no idea. Right. They don't have an answer for that. They don't know. They've never thought about it. And yeah. and and so it's it's really like an inability to think past their nose. It's just this – they're puppets. They're, they're wound up every day to go out and find racism and sexism. They're sniffing for it, you know, and constantly be outraged. And gosh, guess what? If you're constantly outraged, your your buttons are being pushed. You're, you're easily malleable, malleable. You're easily used, you know? Yeah. So yeah, because you're, you're not in a rational state at that point. But I, I, I but that's the people that's it's the intentional. but that's intentional. I would also say, and I think you would agree, Carter, that the, the ideology itself does have an end goal. No, I don't These agree. people, you don't? No, not at all. And I think that's also really? intentional. Yeah. Because you can't unite that many people behind a single end goal. So No, well, um, no but I think the end goal is hey, – hear me out. Well, they have this an end goal. Be- it's not a positive one. It's the end right, goal right, we've right. talked about before, but it's not a positive right. end goal. So yeah, we yeah, agree. Yeah. Look, the, yeah. end, the end goal of this ideology, if you, if you look at where it goes, it goes to, it goes to a place of 
nihilism, like meaninglessness, chaos, destruction. It goes to a place of, you know, it, collectivism is really just being used to re to get to that place of where nothing matters at all, you know, but it, it's a place of just mass meaninglessness and suffering and destruction. But if you tell a foot soldier this, they're like, what are you talking about? Like, no, I'm, I'm looking for a utopia, guys. Like, they don't see it. Yeah, I mean, I think if you sit back, so we we talked about this like a while ago, we, we were asking ourselves this question of like, well, what unites all these people? Like, why are these disparate groups, what are they all fighting for, right? And the, the, the uniting thing that became very obvious was, oh, well, the only thing they all have in common, all these beliefs, whether it's postmodernist or critical theory beliefs or whatever, it doesn't matter. The only thing they all share in common is destruction of Western civilization. They all agree that the end goal is tearing down the West. The West is bad. Now, different people yeah. have different fantasies, if they sit down and think about it, about what they want to replace it with. But they're not in agreement about what to replace it with, if they even think that far. And like Carrie said, most of them don't think that far. They don't. <laughs> right? But it's just big baddie. The West is big baddie. We need to tear it down. And um, what's going to happen if they succeed is the person with the most violent, thuggish fantasies of what to do afterwards will win. That's how it yes. happens. Because That's in chaos, thugs win. So thugs win. the thug will win. So yeah. the people that are like, well, we're going to tear it all down, but we're going to replace it with Sweden. No, you're not. You're going to replace <laughs> it with Hitler or Stalin. Yeah. That's what you're going to replace or it with. Stalin. Yeah, right? we know. We know. We've already seen this. Why can't we learn from history, guys? Like, we know. <laughs> right. We know. <laughs> right. So, um, so, yeah, that's what. <sighs> all right. Let's, let's do more Super Chats. <laughs> it's sighing. That was good. I've got a cart. Carter sigh. Carter sigh. I know. I have to stop sighing. I don't know why. I, I think it's like as I get older, I just sigh more. And I'm worried that when I'm 90, I'm just going to be like every other word's going to. I'm just going to sound like a labored breathing. I got to I got to knock it off. All right. Michael Ray. Michael Ray gives us a super chat and says, Carrie Smith comes from crisis of meaning due to lack of unifying narrative, i.e. purely subjective interpretation of reality. Yes. Yeah, there is a crisis of meaning in a purely subjective interpretation of reality. And that's that's kind of like the postmodernist influence on this belief system. You know, right. everything's subjective. You can't even get to a place of agreeing on definitions. Right. Except for the things uh, that aren't. Yeah. So <laughs> th there's the Marxist side and there's the postmodernist side. And they're so different. That's why it's weird that they're sort of melded. What I've noticed is that most social justice, most, not all. Like the guy Jangles we talked to, he was more on the postmodernist side, I would say. But most seem to be in the Marxist side until they need to slip out of – until they need to use postmodernism to slip out of something. And then they'll use postmodernism and be like, what do words mean? You know, like <laughs> this – we can't right. even agree on definitions or yeah, what reality I, is. I agree. So, I, I think that it's largely – critical theorist which is like has its history in marxist like post neo-marxist or whatever it's, it's it's all marxist roots and it follows you know it goes through the frankfurt school and it comes up but postmodernism came along as this really cool tool that they were like oh whenever we lose arguments we're when we're losing arguments we can employ yeah. this postmodernist thing and it's just like whoop, 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 whoop. nothing's real Boom, yeah. i'm gone nothing's yay real. i'm out it's like this, it's like this <laughs> nuclear weapon of like hey words have no meanings and blah, 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 nonsense yay i'm out so like, 
smoke pellet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I think I think they're mostly they're mostly the Marxists um, and or you know whatever you want to call it, a Marxist variant. Um, but yeah. they just employ postmodernism because postmodernism is awfully convenient. And you've got postmodernists who who say things like, "Well." Uh, who try and defend postmodernism and they'll like some of the intellectuals and they'll say, well, it's not really appropriate to do that because postmodernism isn't, it's not really speaking about an objective reality. So you can't use it to do these things. And it's like, it's kind of like saying, well, I designed a nuclear weapon and I gave it to a kindergarten. It's not my fault that they pressed the button. It's like, well, I mean, you did yeah. design an entire system pretending that reality wasn't real and an, an intricate bunch of arguments on top of it to support it. And on top of that, most of the postmodernists come from a Marxist background. In the yeah. Michael Rechtenwald talked about this. They're all coming from Marxism and then learning postmodernism really more as a tool. Sometimes it makes them cynical about Marxism actually working because nothing actually works. But it's 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 all it's all that direction. It's all it's not yeah this is why this is why when like when they when people when average people look at this and say they're commies and the elitists are all like you don't know what you're talking about it's not communist it's about they, they get all it's like actually commie is a pretty freaking good summation of what they are they're yeah. mostly just kind of commies yeah, yeah they've got you know they're they're dressed in tweed jackets and they they have other nuanced beliefs in various areas and they've got postmodernist arguments but if you wanted to use just kind of one word that would make most people understand, they're commies. That's a that's a pretty accurate word. It works pretty well. Yeah, it does work well. Um, um all right, sorry. Okay, while you're doing more, let's do Joseph Shorty. You do it, and I I'll be right back. I have to take a quick break. <laughs> okay, Joseph Shorty. Joseph says, "Got it right." We tore down religion, which taught those self-reflective values. Yes, because we don't promote those values in education. Generations are growing up with a lack of moral compass. Yeah, we don't promote them in education, and we don't even promote them in secular society anywhere, generally. Uh, it's not – I mean, there are there are little enclaves that do. But in general, we just kind of tore down religion, and we're like, all done. Uh, we don't have to worry about any of that touchy-feely stuff and psychology, and we'll leave psychology to the <laughs> Marxists. So – yeah, this is what we get. All right, let's find an, the next super chat here. Of course, when Carrie's gone, I got a long scroll. You got to watch me scroll. Here we go. Chris, Chris says, don't mind me. Just going to lay down some ban hammer. <laughs> Chris, Chris is our moderator. So I'm sorry I didn't notice you before, Chris. Uh, I just, the screen, I happened to look at it. And there was no moderator. Uh, Joseph Sorty says, gives us five bucks and says, Captain Jack Dorsey, the steerer of the censorship. <laughs> yes. Nice pun. He is indeed uh, the steerer. Although he's getting, he's getting steered a little bit too, which we'll talk about in a minute. But yeah, he's definitely captain of one of the, one of the ships in the, in the armada of censorship. Pirate Tomsky gives us five pounds and says, I loved it when JBP, Jordan Peterson, uh, said postmodernists say they don't believe in biology, but they must to some degree because they all die. <laughs> I didn't hear that, but <laughs> I maybe did. they just their don't body, believe that they've died. Their body believes in it. Yeah. Well, you can't. The, 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 the dirty little secret with, with bad ideas is you can't actually live them consistently all the time in your life. You can't actually live as a postmodernist. You can't actually live as 
oh, well, I believe that gravity is a social construct. It's like, if you lived that way, you would die when you walked out of the building <laughs> at the 80th floor. Like, you can't do that. You can't live. You've got to live rationally most of the time or you die. That's how the world works. Uh, but you can in your little, you know, in your little study rooms or in your, your little lecture halls, you can pontificate that nothing exists and, you know, reality is a construct of language and, and everything's fine because nothing's going to happen to you in a lecture hall. Um, all right. I think we made it through Super Chats. Carrie? We did. Um, okay. There's been some there's been some talk of Jack Dorsey. Can we do a quick Twitter update? It can be it can be super quick on some Twitter. Yes, stuff. do it. Um, I think it can be quick, but yeah. there is some. I just want to give people some updates. The first update is they are still blocking the New York Post. New York Post. I pulled this up today. They have not tweeted since October 14th. Wow. They are wow. still blocking the New York Post. I think it's important to pay attention to. Um, and Ted Cruz, you know, basically says – there's a little clip here of Ted Cruz talking to Jack Dorsey. Here, well, let's just play it for a moment because you get to see Jack Dorsey. For people who don't know uh, what we're talking about when we're referencing um, Tom Hanks and Castaway, you'll see in just a moment here. Oh, you forced the Politico reporter to take down his post about the New York Post as well. Is that correct? Within that 24-hour period, yes. But we, you know, as the policy has changed, anyone can tweet so the So Twitter takes the view. You can censor the New York Post. You can censor Politico. Presumably, you can censor the New York Times or any other media outlet. Mr. Dorsey, who the hell elected you? And yes. in charge of what the media are allowed to report and what the American people are allowed to hear. And why do you persist in behaving as a Democratic super PAC, silencing views to the contrary of your political beliefs? Let, let's give uh, Mr. Dorsey. He, his answer is. Yes. Oh, I, I don't do that. Of, Such of a liar. Yeah. And well, by the so. Way, by the what? way, no, yeah, let ahead. me just say. Ted Cruz is the first Republican I've ever voted for. I voted uh, after being a lifelong Democrat. I voted for Ted Cruz in 2018 because he's the most he was the most liberal candidate running. Um, Beto was not a liberal. He was an authoritarian leftist. So I voted for Ted Cruz and I have been very pleased with my vote. I was a little worried, but I've been very pleased. I think he's one he's he's one of the few that I've come to like. I don't think he goes far enough, but I think at least he's out there doing something. And I like, I like his beard. I like him, I like him all the time. time. And I like his beard. And I think he has a good sense of humor. And I also think he's very intelligent, even if you don't like oh, yeah. his policies or yeah, something. He's intelligent and, and he's – Yeah. Yeah. You, you know where he's coming from. And you can rely on him more often than not. You can rely on him to make principled arguments in the right direction. So yeah. uh, he's definitely one of the better, better politicians. So um, – all right. Other Twitter. And just, also, yeah. yes, Jack Dorsey looks like he's been stuck on a deserted island. You're exactly right. Sun, <laughs> his face is totally sunburned and he, yeah. his hair is unkempt. And, you know, he makes the Duck Dynasty guys look like austere gentlemen. Well, <laughs> look, I don't um, – I'm not kidding when I say he's doing too much ayahuasca. There, I, I don't think people outside of Silicon Valley understand – the trends in Silicon Valley involving drugs and enlightenment. There are massive, massive movements of people, CEOs, 
that go off and do trips with ayahuasca to try and get in touch with God knows what and talk to aliens and figure out stuff. And like, and ayahuasca is dangerous. Ayahuasca is, I mean, there's some microdosing of LSD. There's a lot of drug stuff that happens in Silicon Valley, but it's not like the eighties where it's like they're coking up so they can, you know, stay up all night and code. It's, they're trying to get in touch. I, I think there's some sort of angst because they're they're materialists who've built something and it's great and you got a private jet, but you don't feel satisfied. And so they're trying to get in touch with something on a quote yeah. higher plane or have some meaning yeah. in their lives. And so they are turning to um they're drugs. turning to drugs like ayahuasca to try and break their brain in a way that works for them. Um and I've seen people I've seen people get, you know, they'll do they'll do ayahuasca once kind of weird but fine they come back pretty normal then they start getting hooked they, they do it more like they need to go on more quote spiritual journeys and they just go off the rails i mean they literally become insane they become insane not everyone but it's dangerous to do this crap and this is not i'm not i'm not joking this isn't like a no, i'm not being I hyperbolic know. and it's not everyone but it does happen and i would not be surprised if he's been off doing ayahuasca somewhere in peru yeah, I I fully the, the people I knew and they weren't anywhere near near you know CEO level executive level, but they were really high up on the development side at some of these social you know these big social companies and yeah, there's it's sort of this hedonistic lifestyle and I do think it comes from and I traveled in some of the that lifestyle for a while, not ayahuasca or whatever, but I just mean the hedonism part where they're sort of seeking for meaning and purpose and I think seeking for God, like seeking for, they're seeking, the way I describe it in my case, I'll just speak for me. So I'm not offending anyone who doesn't believe what I believe. But for me, I was trying to fill a God-sized hole with other things, like things of the flesh, you know? And so you see these people in LA where I was living and in the entertainment industry, it's like, and in social media companies and stuff, just this pursuit of the next taboo, like drugs, sex. Um, I mean, okay. For example, I just, you know, we had Chris filled in for you on Monday Yes. and my friend, mystery Chris. And after the show, we were, we were kind of kicking around for the rest of the day and hanging out. And he made me laugh so hard because we were talking about the Hunter Biden sex tape. And if you haven't seen it in this tape, it's, um, You've it's a, it? a woman. It's a Chinese woman. Of course I've watched it. Oh my God. <laughs> I had to, I I had to do my watched. research. Okay. So it's this woman and I've heard she's, it's been alleged she's underage. I have no idea. How would you know that? But anyway, it's this Chinese woman who is stimulating him, masturbating him with her feet. And it's so weird <laughs> and bizarre. And Chris and I were talking about it sort of where do you get to that? I know everybody has different fetishes and whatever, but where do you get to that point? It, to me, it re- it didn't even seem like it was titillating for him. It was kind of boring. Like they were just going through the motions of like, this is what I do now is feet, feet jobs because I've got to keep pushing the taboo of what's, you know, what gets me off. And I really, I've seen that happen to people where they're constantly seeking that next thing. And so we were kind of laughing, like, like, where do you go at a certain point? I think that's where you start to see some real evil creep into people's sexual proclivities in some ways. Um, But, but in other ways, we were kind of like, can you imagine if it's just like, you know, Hunter Biden gets to the point where feet don't do it anymore. It's got to be weirder. It's like, you know, Jerk me off with your ear. Like, I need your ear. <laughs> like, just some, like, weird 
<laughs> but that's kind oral of oral sex. <laughs> Our oral. <laughs> oh, it's just this sort of just continuing to push things to some absurd place because because they because it is it is a nihilistic hedonistic pursuit of meaning and of of something well, that's I going mean, to I, be transcendent for them, you know. Yeah, but you're throwing words but, around like hedonistic and meaning that don't go together. It's not like hedonism isn't pursuit for meaning. It's just like I, I think I think Silicon no, Valley is looking people, for meaning. Um, yeah, no, but I think they think I think some people think hedonism is a route to meaning. Isn't that no. weird? Well, ayahuasca is not fun, so I wouldn't count it as a hedonistic okay. activity. It's a it's a like you puke. It's horrible. Uh, it's not a fun experience, from what I've heard. I've not done it, but uh, yeah, I do like to look. I mean. With the cat, I I know that there are people who get deeper and deeper into things for the exact reasons you're saying. So I'm not dismissing it. I do generally like to just withhold judgment on like sexual stuff because like I, whatever. I don't care what people consenting adults can do what they want. I don't care. Is it is? Do they have some weird psychology? Yeah, but everyone has psychological issues. And if if feet do it for him, I don't care. I'm not going to judge I the mean, man for feet. I, whatever. I don't like feet, but okay, right? I get more power to him. It's just. It's just to me, it seems indicative of this sort of pursuit of like whatever is outside. No, and I think there are definitely are people who are like, well, now I have to go more because that's not doing it. And like, there's definitely people that are looking for stuff. So yeah, right. Um, But (laughs) yeah, I I I want to comment. Someone someone in chat said ayahuasca is not dangerous. Carter's wrong. Um, I've never done ayahuasca. I have heard people say it's not dangerous. But um, I I had someone I mean VCs take people on ayahuasca trips sometimes I have direct knowledge of someone who was involved with ayahuasca and went down a dark path and I ended up talking to a professor at Berkeley who was an expert in this who explicitly said actually ayahuasca is not like other drugs it is dangerous it is very dangerous to keep doing ayahuasca it's dangerous um, now I could be wrong go look it up. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a neurological expert. I'm not a drug expert, but my understanding is it's dangerous. Um, I've heard fr- I've, and I've heard from people who are fine with LSD and other things that have looked into that are like ayahuasca is very dangerous. So, um, and a lot of things are like not dangerous once or twice. Like ecstasy is another good example. MDMA is not dangerous like once. But if you have it more than like once a quarter, it can start to permanently affect your ability to feel happiness. That's dangerous is what I've heard. Again, I'm not an expert, but like, look, you're playing with fire when you do this stuff. You've got to go. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. And to just dismiss it and be like, ayahuasca is not dangerous. You're an idiot. Like, I don't know. Are right. you a neurochemist? I, I mean, uh, like, I, I look, look for a neurochemist, right? So. Um, it, I think it can have, my understanding is it can have side effects that are permanent. So, um, thank you, Carter. I wasn't laughing at anything. I wasn't laughing at anything you were saying. I saw in the chat, first of all, Negus, Negus said, give me your armpit, which is one of the things we said. Give me your armpit? Yeah. It's just about sexual, like the further you try to push it into the absurd, (laughs) but that made me laugh. Give me your armpit. But also. Also, there seem to be a lot of people who appreciate feet in the chat. And again, just to be clear, <laughs> I under, I know that there's a lot of people who are into feet. I, I, look, any, I, I'm not judging it for that. I'm just saying it struck me as something where it seemed boring even to him. It seems like a, a person who's just kind of 
like where can we go from here and let's keep going and try to find the thing right. that they're going to get to the you know, armpit eventually and, where yeah. you build up sort of a tolerance like you would to a drug or something and you have to make, take it further yeah. it you know I, it, that's just the way it struck me and it made me laugh that's all mostly at the end of the day i'm always looking for reasons to laugh so right right yeah um all right oh yeah a few more little twitter up i just want to finish my twitter update uh thing here okay so so that that was uh okay that's another twitter thing we'll skip that one um oh and by the way <laughs> so actually so, so this is weird too um just to be clear so you've got like you've got ted cruz angry rightfully right at twitter but um just not to defend jack dorsey but you've got to understand that even jack does not satisfy the cathedral. They are not happy enough. And so I don't know if you saw this, but um, you've got Alexander uh, Nazarian, who I don't know, but he's, uh, I guess he's a Yahoo News or something. Um, oh, this he guy. He jumps on Jack and he says, this is astonishing. Jack Dorsey says that the Holocaust denial is not misinformation according to Twitter's policy. And he, so... This is uh, kind of misleading, but he he yells at Jack for – I'm not going to play this one, but he yells at Jack for – he says, well, can you deny the Holocaust on Twitter? And Jack says, well, uh, it's not – our our misinformation policy has three very specific areas, and he names the three areas. And, and the Holocaust doesn't fit into one of the misinformation policy areas. Um, and so, hey, it's not misinformation. You can do it. And so he's very upset. He wants this censored. Now, in reality, actually, if you go down here, someone posted an article about it. Uh, Twitter has been moving Holocaust, removing Holocaust denial posts, which I don't think they should do either. But they've been doing it based on their hate speech policy. And they think that it's hateful to um, uh, reference violent events or attempts to deny or diminish such events. So I, I just want to throw out that even though Jack is a bad guy, even though he is doing the things that piss people who don't like censorship off, and he's definitely on the woke side, there is still pressure on him to be more woke. Look at how they treat Facebook. They're angry at Zuckerberg for not censoring Trump stuff enough and whatever it is. They are always angry at these guys because they're not woke enough, if you can yeah. believe that. Uh, well, that's that's part of the strategy, Carter. It, yes. And I know you know this, but if they always that's how they push things as far as they do is they never they're never happy. You always have to go further. And anytime you bow to the mob, as we've talked about, or you are beholden to this ideology and, and you pledge allegiance to them, essentially, and, and let them know that you're there to do their bidding. And anytime you try to please them and say, you know, I'm part of you, I'm woke, I'm, you know, I, I'm giving $10 million to Ewa Max Kendi, I'm censoring the New York Post, I'm doing all these things at Twitter to show you how righteous I am, like morally righteous, SJW morally righteous. It doesn't matter because now you're owned by them and that they will use that to push you further and further and further. It's the same as apologizing to the mob. It doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't be, yeah, as Dom says in chat, you cannot be woke enough. You never can be. That's right. That's right. So and, quit trying. Quit trying. Just Republicans, I just want to, here's not a way to fix it. 
in case you haven't seen this, did you see Marsha Blackburn? She's a Republican senator. No, I didn't. Here's what she says to Google. Is Blake Lemoyne, one of your engineers, still working with you? Um, Senator, I'm familiar with his name uh, as an em- as an employee. I'm not sure okay. whether he's currently an employee. Okay. Uh, well, he has had very unconscious things to say about me. And uh, I was just wondering if you all had still uh, kept him working there. What? What? Right. So... <laughs> So I just I just want people to understand how politicians on both sides of the aisle, usually more the Democrats, but this is a Republican, they view themselves as your little aristocracy. And so she she asks Sundar, I don't like Sundar, I don't like Google, but she asks the CEO of Google, I don't know how many thousands of employees they have, but lots, hey, there's one engineer who has some not nice things to say about me. Is he still working there? What is how how narcissistic and what a waste of your time for the American people that you choose to use your limited amount of time to talk to this guy. You choose to use it in such a narrow, self-serving, unimportant way, frankly. Oh, I would if you could fire senators, that would be an instant firing. I'd be like, no, I'm sorry. That's that's too much. You're gone. You can't do that. That's. Yeah, you that's can't, not why you're what there. What is your crap? What is this? I'm a little, I'm a little thief. Did someone talk bad at me about your company and are they still employed? Out. Now, by the way, I'm sure <laughs> she wouldn't be yeah, the only one if that was the standard, but they should be uh, out for asking those questions. Like, did she even ask any important questions at all? Do you know? I don't know. I do. Yeah, who knows? But I mean, I mean, you're there. This is your chance to talk to one of the engineers and architects of the mass manipulation of the American people that's currently happening, of the mass gaslighting, of the propaganda and censorship. You're there to grill him on behalf of the American people. The people have elected you to work for them. And instead of saying, hey, let's talk about how you're censoring things and you're you're manipulating the public through propaganda and censorship. Instead of saying that, you're like, hey, there's a person that works for you that doesn't like me. Why don't you fire him? Uh, Who who cares? Yeah, no, it's an abuse of power. That's an abuse of power. And, and, uh, you know, I, I think most people that run for office fantasize about being able to have that power. That's why they run for office, which is why I hate politicians generally. But, you know, you can't let it show, Marsha. You gotta, you gotta keep that inside. Your little, your little narcissism has to remain, (laughs) remain locked away in your brain somewhere. You can't do that. So short-sighted, so short-sighted. Anyway. Okay. Okay. We have okay. to, because I have to go soon. So we have to talk about Glenn. Thank you. Greenwald. Yeah, he's the next on our. Yeah, we should talk about Glenn Greenwald. Um, well, I'll pull up his resignation letter. Let's do that. Uh, so, and as you're wait, why don't you up, tell people about Glenn Greenwald I, and like who he is and all I got, that stuff? I'm, a, I'm already ahead of you. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I, you know, I wonder, Carrie, should I start doing that to you? <laughs> yes. I'm already ahead of you. I don't like, do that to you. I'm th- I know, but I'm already two steps there. I'm doing uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. So <laughs> I, all I was going to say is that it's funny to me when I heard this news, I, it reminded me of something you had shared with me on the show. You'd, mm-hmm. you'd read an article and that was kind of woke and I can't remember even what it was about. It was just, you know, it was, it, it was just another example of 
propaganda masquerading as journalism. And at the end, you said it was an Intercept article, and I was kind of surprised, and I said so, because I usually like the Intercept, and right. I may not agree with them on all policy positions, but I generally think they're pretty fair, hand, fair, even-handed. And so that was weird to me, and there were a couple of other things in that week that made me start to wonder if something was off at the Intercept. And then this came out. Glenn Greenwald, who started the Intercept, just resigned from his own publication. Can you read some of it? Yep. Sorry, let me pull it up. I, I realize it's not on screen. Okay. You can you can feel free to say I'm way ahead of you, Carrie. No, that's right. I <laughs> I bite my tongue when I feel that way. But that's I, okay. I don't. Uh, I <laughs> All right. Uh, okay. So he writes this thing about his resignation from The Intercept. And basically, he wrote an article. He co-founded The Intercept. He wrote an article including um, some of Joe Biden's stuff. And he says, uh, the final precipitating cause of his resignation is that The Intercept's editors, in violation of my contractual right of editorial freedom, censored an article I wrote this week, refusing to publish it unless I remove all sections critical of Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden. Um, and then... Uh, Intercept editors also demanded that I refrain from exercising a separate contractual right to publish this article with any other publication. And he goes on, you actually don't have to read much more than this of his thing, but what's interesting is he reveals the emails between him and uh, the editorial staff. And actually, there's a reason, actually, so there's a reason that I have on my sign fluid standard behind me today, and it's because of this. Because uh, there is one of the most pervasive and insidious forms of bias is journalistic standards that are adaptive. They're stringent when they're applied to anything that's critical of the narrative, and they're almost non-existent when they're when it's something that's for the narrative. So you can read these emails, and we'll we'll highlight a couple spots of them. You can read these emails and come away with this idea that. This is all very reasonable until you think about, well, how do they handle Marussia? How do they handle the Steele dossier? How do they handle other things? And it's totally unreasonable. So here's what they say to the guy. The draft's core problem is in the connection it often asserts or assumes between Hunter Biden emails and corruption of Joe Biden. These are, there are many places in which the explicit or implicit position is that the emails expose corruption by Joe and the news organizations are suppressing their reporting. Um, and they say, okay, those passages have got the most attention, but they're vague. If one of the, in one of the China emails, for instance, there's reference to the big guy, we might, it might be Joe Biden, but we don't know. Uh, it's unclear whether it's Joe Biden. Um, and we don't know if he was even aware of this. And some of the by most, the way, go ahead. by the way, for anyone who's not up to date on this, this happens to be just one thing I am up to date on is that one of Hunter Biden's business associates has come out on the record and done an interview um, where he said that that's exactly who the big guy referred to. It referred yeah. to Joe Biden. Well, that's what they say. Some of the most serious accusations and potential corroboration comes not from the hard drive, but from Tony Bobulinski's short press conference in which he didn't take questions. And then he attended a Trump rally, so or Trump uh, debate as Trump's guest. So uh, genetic fallacy, he likes Trump, so therefore, uh, I don't even know if he likes Trump, but Trump invited him to the debate, so he went. No, he actually said in his interview, I watched one of his interviews, he said uh, that he's not a very political person, 
but back when he was that he donated if i get this wrong i'm paraphrasing from my memory the guys but he said that he donated to democrats and supported democrats back when he was yeah like, yeah more of a political guy well so now he's deciding to go to a trump rally oh i guess we shouldn't he shouldn't it be wasn't even a trump he, rally trump invited him to the debate so he went oh I would he go went to, to the debate. debate even if of biden course. invited me i would go to the debate i'd be like all right of course cool. yeah. what is that evidence of nothing doesn't matter um it doesn't matter so, and then they say, as your draft notes at one point, it is true that no evidence, including these new emails, constitute proof that Biden's motive in demanding Shokin's termination was benefit to Burisma. So they're saying, you you say that it doesn't constitute proof. Okay, so what? You're an honest reporter? That's the problem? However, there are many places in the piece where you say that material raises questions about the motives, yet you never present any evidence. Uh, yeah, you do. The evidence is the thing he just said. Here's the evidence. It's not proof. This raises questions, but of course they're going to complain about that. The reasonable conclusion by now, so this now they're going to apply their own standard. The reasonable conclusion is that this didn't, didn't happen. We we think it's unlikely, so you can't talk about it. A connected problem is your draft asserts that there's major suppression attempt by the entire major media not to report, but then it doesn't explore how major news organizations have done significant stories, and those stories, such as the journals, have not found anything of significance. Actually, that's not true. He's, in fact, down here in the emails in his response, he actually cites examples of <laughs> he does talk about the major news stories and and outlets and what they did. Um, so they say, I I think I do. I do think that you should treat the origin story of the hard drive that it came from a Delaware repair store with a bit more skepticism. Yes, just like they treated the steel dossier, blah, blah, blah. Now, by the way, as he points out, as Greenwald points out. This is the same paper that immediately went with uh, Marussia is responsible for the Biden uh, hard drive. We'll, we'll get to it in a minute. But they say wow. you should you should wow. treat the origin of the hard drive with more skepticism. It's true that nothing's emerged to significantly undermine it, but it remains very strange story surrounded by unanswered questions. OK. So he responds. He says, look, I'm willing to talk about factual inaccuracies that you think are present. I'm not willing to remove the sections. <laughs> they don't cite factual inaccuracies at all. He says, I was quite careful not to say that the emails proved Biden had a corrupt motive. In fact, you note that I explicitly said that. And then he goes on. He, there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot here, so I don't want to read it all. And I'm, I want to just read this part because this is important. Because this is a great example of these... Um, journalistic standards that are adaptive depending on your relation to the narrative. He says, finally, this is Greenwald writing back to his editors. I have to note what I find to be the incredible irony that The Intercept, which has published more articles than I can count that contain factually dubious claims, if not outright falsehoods, that are designed to undermine Trump's candidacy or protect Biden, is now telling me someone who has never had an article retracted or even seriously corrected in 15 years that my journalism doesn't meet the editorial requirements to be published at The Intercept. This is the moving standard, right? It was The Intercept that took the lead in falsely claiming the Intercept took the lead in falsely claiming that publication by the New York Post was part of a campaign of Russian disinformation and did so by uncritically citing the allegations of ex-CIA officials as truth and so much worse, omitting the sentence in a letter from the ex-CIA officials admitting that they had no evidence for the claim. In other words, The Intercept 
in the only article that it bothered to publish that makes passing reference to these documents, did so only by mindlessly repeating what CIA operatives, he should have said ex-CIA operatives, say. And it turned out to be completely false. This, CIA's steganography, is what meets The Intercept's rigorous editorial standards. He just destroys them here, right? He destroys them, yes. Right? And then he quotes what they quoted, and he says, look, you left out the part where they say, we do not have evidence of Russian involvement. And so they basically said, look, the response comes back. They use they use this language that makes it try to make it look like they're the reasonable ones. Well, we're just had a, we're just trying to have a conversation. You are unwilling to engage in a productive editorial process as we had hoped. Oh, oh well, wow. we're the good ones. I am offended and it's unacceptable. Your your accusations are offend me and it's unacceptable. And these are unacceptable. these are social justice this is social justice language 101. I'm offended well, and it's unacceptable. Somebody and somebody says, oh, and it's a woman, of course. I of don't course. mean anything by that. I'm just saying. Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, look at this. Look at this. Somebody in the chat said, Tim Buck says, truth is now a subjective social construct based on political affiliation. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as you were reading right. this is, unfortunately, even though he eviscerates them with the truth and with a good grasp and 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 use of language, he's very articulate. He does so very succinctly. And to the point, and he uses facts, it doesn't, it's almost like it doesn't matter anymore because we live in a post-truth world, in a post-fact world. Like there's so many people in the public at this point, I wouldn't be able to give a number, but there's a large portion of population that's completely unhinged from reality and truth. So it's almost like now we're going to start to see things like this happen where what do the editors do when they respond? They don't even address his points. They're just say, I'm offended. This is unacceptable. Right. And, and that like, well, we hope you want to have a productive to. dialogue, but you don't. Right. Yeah. In the past, in the past, I think they would have felt a sense of duty and honor and commitment to truth and pursuit of truth would have felt a need to address his points and try and defend themselves or at least say, admit fault on some things. Maybe no, they don't even feel that need anymore. It doesn't matter. It's like, you know. it, it's like it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, they did their initial thing to him was was pretty long and his response was pretty long. But then the final response back was like this short little thing that we just saw, which is like, oh, well, uh, I'm offended. And you're not, you know, you're unwilling to engage in a productive editorial process. Yeah. OK, I guess that's your assumption. But, um, you know, this is the thing. The reason I wanted to. The reason I wanted to point this out and read the emails was it is the standard that is the standard depends on the narrative. It's de it depends on the relation to the narrative. Um, oh, looks like Carrie, you all right there? You made a face. Am I am I back? Sorry, my internet keeps cutting out today. Oh. I'm, first it was you, now it's me. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm just, it, it depends on the relation to the narrative. That's the standard that they apply. And so if you want to be defending this, this editorial board, you can look at their responses and be like, oh, well, I guess they just have very strict standards here. Um, and he's not yeah. meeting them and, and they just want to be very, they're a very, he's very careful that. paper. That's not true. They're not a very careful paper. Um, and no. by the way, you've they, got Julia Loff and people like Julia Loff on Twitter, so like, like who's a editor, like uh, I think she works for GQ or something. Um, she says, editing is not censorship. Twitter criticism is not cancellation. Why are these things so hard to understand? The blue check marks come out in droves and say, hey, editing's not censorship. This is just editing. It's just editing. 
that's all it is. Um, and I, I, you know, I just want to remind everyone: editing can be censorship. It depends how you edit. <laughs> like, yeah. editing doesn't have to be censorship. It shouldn't be censorship, but it certainly can be censorship when you use editing to censor ideas and information that you don't want people to have. Guess what that's called? Censorship. <sighs> Good guess, <laughs> Carrie. You didn't get it right. <laughs> uh, I'll try not to sigh. This is a sigh moment. That was a moment like in class when the teacher asked the question. And I'm like, I'm here. <laughs> I know the answer. No, I'm kidding. Okay. One more super chat. Let's do 2A self-defense law gives us five bucks. Doesn't say anything. So that's an easy one. Thank you, 2A self-defense law. Yeah. <sighs> Carrie, do you have anything else? Because I have one more thing, but I don't know if you want to do it because there's, I don't know how, I don't know what your I time have, constraint is today. I have one short thing, which will be funny. Uh, I'm sorry. I just got this other thing, work thing. Okay. Here, let me send this to you. Okay, you send me a funny thing. I might keep going because I really want to talk about this other thing too. Okay. It's one of those days for me because I didn't get to do Monday. I'm feeling... Uh, oh, wait, oh, wait. That thing I just sent you is not the thing. Don't pull that up. I'm totally pulling that up. You're so screwed. <laughs> Don't pull that up. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm pulling this up. You're you're dead. Please. <laughs> okay. Here. I Can I pull the, the second one up? The second one, which says OMG. Yes. Yeah, that yeah, one. Yeah. Yes. You can pull that up. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. There's some inside joking happening on this. <laughs> which I don't like what people do, so I'll stop. I'm but. sorry. I'm just laughing. You don't have to be inside the joke. I just sent in something that we I probably wouldn't want to put on camera. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here's what you do want on camera, though. <laughs> do you want to read it or do you want me to talk about it? I, I can't see it yet on my end. So you read. Oh, so can't. this is a. I just made this meme because I saw this tweet, and and I wanted to put it side by side with what she's offended by. So you can you can just see how outrageous, how dishonest, and how much hyperbole these people engage in, and how they almost it's like they are stoking and growing hysteria at the expense of marginalized people, at the expense of marginalized groups. They're exploiting them to create this hysteria. So here's the tweet on the left. It's a woman named Elizabeth Toby. She's a blue check mark. Can you who, read it? Who is that? Do you know who she is? I don't know who she is. All right. Seriously, she, she writes, seriously, this wanton disregard for the safety of LGBTQ, is that another word? I? Is it another letter? Crap. Now I gotta start saying another letter. All right. This wanton disregard for the safety of LGBTQI folks with an X makes me hope that me undies takes a serious hit to their bottom line. Soft underwear is everywhere, people. Buy the stuff that doesn't support campaigns and voices that advocate violence against trans folks. Okay, and then Carrie, okay, so I think you wrote underneath it, right? Part. Yeah, so I put – so now if you were to read this, it's a tweet about – Violence against trans folks, right? So I just said, OMG, what did MeUndies do? Violence against trans people. Okay, then the next frame's like, let's go look it up. Let's go see what they did. Violence against trans people. Okay, so here's the next one from MeUndies. The next one, this is the one that she's responding to. And it's important to note that the tweet starts with star emoji, a wizard emoji, and a castle emoji. So already, they're already (laughs) close to violence already. Here we go. 
Star Wizard Castle. Welcome to Hogwarts. And then a castle and an owl and a lightning bolt. Maybe the lightning bolt is a problem. We are pleased to inform you that our Harry Potter collection has arrived. Whether you're a Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, or Ravenclaw's son with a Slytherin moon, there's something for everyone. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. They used Harry yeah. Potter, and, and that's, yeah, that's that's the turf stuff. That's all it is. So I just said, oh, it's a Harry Potter pajama line well it seems like the bar for violence against trans people seems pretty low i mean doesn't it are we at a point where there's a harry potter pajama line and this woman goes equals violence against trans people you know like yeah. what, what you signed you a contract with one of the most lucrative franchises and popular franchises in all of history so you must have wanton disregard for the safety of lbgbtqi folks it's such a lie. And it's not just that it's such a lie. I hate it because it's A, it's dishonest, but B, B, I hate it because it exploits trans people and uses them to create a fake hysteria and narrative and presumably scares a lot of trans people into believing that they live in this world that's out to do violence against them because there's a Harry Potter pajama line out there. <laughs> like, it's so absurd. I mean, are they? Are, well, I was going to go shoot some random people, but instead I bought some Harry Potter pajamas because I'm oh into my violence. Gosh. <laughs> It belittles, it belittles, it belittles violence against trans people to say that a Harry Potter line, pajama line is violence against, you are belittling it. You're belittling actual violence against trans people. What's wrong with you? You're so dishonest. I don't believe in her good intentions. Maybe Harry like Potter pajamas are a great Halloween costume because they're so scary. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, I don't know. I just had to highlight that because I felt... We see so much of it all the time, and it just struck me that one in particular because I. She's that's an exactly interesting one to me because she had, she. Go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was saying that's exactly what I did. Is that one struck me because I saw, I saw her tweet, and then I, I said, I wonder what me undies did, and I went over there <laughs> to see what, what the kind violence of violence was. is going on over at me undies. What's went, what's the underwear factory up to? Oh, it's a children's <laughs> pajama line. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, well, I can see. I can see why that's blatant disregard. Um, J.K. Rowling is an interesting one to me because she she was their darling when she decided that Dumbledore was gay. The left was all like, yeah, you stick it to those conservatives. She kind of ex post facto said, oh, yeah, Dumbledore's gay. And they were all super happy with her. And then I forget what she did, but she said something like women are women or whatever it was. And uh, uh-oh. Now she's a now she's literally the Antichrist. She's yeah, and and the thing is, they've run with this, and I think of a lot of the ignorant people who I still know in some way or another who are in the social justice world. Now, not all of them, but some of them are very. Some of them are smart, but so, I'm thinking of some of the dumb ones who just mindlessly repeat this um, lie that she's a transphobe. Okay. She has no problem, just to make it clear, because I know there are conservatives in our audience, probably there are some conservatives who probably, someone said this on a comment to that meme that I made, you know, that about, you know, if you have a problem with a trans lifestyle, that that's what she's talking about. I said, no, that's not even what she's talking about. You, you might have that problem, by the way, you, but J.K. Rowling doesn't. J.K. Rowling doesn't have a problem with trans people. J.K. Rowling simply said trans women are not biological women. That's a great send now to speak truth. You can't speak a truth. They can't speak biology. can't speak science. 
that even person, if she did. Here's some even if she did, but look, it's here's Harry some of the Potter. stuff she said. Here's some of the stuff she said. These are direct quotes from J.K. Rowling. If you could come inside my head and understand what I feel when I read about a trans woman dying at the hands of a violent man, you would find solidarity and kinship. Uh, Here's another one. I have a visceral sense of the terror in which those trans women will have spent their last seconds on earth because I too have known moments of blind fear when I realized that the only thing keeping me alive was the shaky self-restraint of my attacker. Here's another one. I stand alongside the brave women and men, gay, straight, and trans, who are standing up for freedom of speech and thought and for the rights and safety of some of the most vulnerable in our society. Here's another. Because, of course, trans rights are human rights, and, of course, trans lives matter. Uh, and then she the, sounds like one a real bigot. One, sounds like a real transphobe, <laughs> right, guys? Here's her last one. She says, all I'm asking, all I want is for similar empathy, similar understanding to be extended to the many millions of women whose sole crime is wanting their concerns to be heard without receiving threats and abuse. Where's the hate in all that? Where's the transphobia in all that? They, they're liars. Of course they're they liars. liars. Of course they're – well, I don't even know if – like I don't know if they even know they're lying. They are so – they're so narcissistic. They're so wrapped up in their own they, – they love the smell of their own farts, as South Park would say, so much. Uh, and they're so focused on any minor bothersome thing to them being the responsibility of someone else in the external world that – she might not even realize she's lying. She might really believe that that is violence, that Harry Potter underwear is violence. And by the way, even if she were, even if J.K. Rowling were transphobic, Harry Potter is not a transphobic Book. piece of literature. It's not, no. it has nothing to do with it. It's kids' literature. It doesn't matter what she is. What she is is like Harry Potter is not everything that J.K. Rowling is. Harry Potter is a piece of art. I don't particularly like it, yeah. but it doesn't matter. It's a piece of art. It's children's art, and people like it. It's very popular. It's not transphobic in and of itself. Even if she were transphobic, it's this doesn't not, make Harry Potter was, underwear yeah. violence against trans people. It's such a lie. Everything about this, it's like lies. What do you speak when you wake up every day? These people speak lies. How do you, I mean, I, I think I think that that's another reason why we see so much, to go back to one of the first Super Chat questions, I think that's why you see so much meanness on that side is is there's a lot of psychological issues because you, you've got to be off balance. You're, there's a lot of different ways we humans can master the art of not living consciously, right? So this is just one of them, but bad ideology, which forces you to speak lies and, and try and try and convince yourself they're truth. Like that's just one way, but, but that's a, that's a way that we, I see a lot lately. So how do you, I don't think do we live people... consciously by default. I think you have to work to live consciously. Yeah, I agree. You, it's not, it's not default at all. No. Um, which, yeah. I, which I, which can be a positive role for religion, by the way, because it, 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 it brings your conscious attention to your own behavior and your own heart. Yeah. Um, so so someone someone writes in chat underoos would never pass muster today yeah i there would be the whole like well why are the wonder woman underoos only available for the females <laughs> like there would be there would be massive anger about underoos today i loved underoos when i was a kid that's true underoos or fruit of the loom that somehow that's got to be offensive oh probably um okay why bother gives us uh two euro and says 
420 plus 42 is our way. <laughs> Are you Silicon Valley? But you seem like you're in in Europe, but uh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of consumption of various things. And look, I'm not judging people <laughs> who consume various things in Silicon Valley. Like that's fine. Uh, but uh, there is there is definitely self destructive behavior that's masquerading as enlightenment going on in Silicon Valley. And <laughs> I don't know. I have no knowledge of what Jack Dorsey's doing, but he certainly looks uh, like someone who might be. <laughs> Somebody said, somebody said, this is not a super chat, but somebody said, if either of, if either of any of you truly believe JK Rowling is even close to a good personality, I truly feel bad. All I can say is you need to dig just a bit deeper. Uh, I just want, nobody here said anything about our opinions on JK Rowling's personality. Not neither of us. I didn't voice mine. I don't think Carter voiced his. I don't All think about JK Rowling. I have no idea about JK Rowling. I, I have no idea about, about her. <laughs> What we said was that what they are calling her is not true. There's nothing she said that is transphobic. There's never been so, any evidence presented that she is transphobic. That she's and, transphobic. And even if there were, that is not that is right. not justification for the claim that Harry Potter underwear is literal violence. So uh, right. people, I, people often get this thing where like you defend someone and they're like, I'm, I'm defending it. We're defending someone in a very specific, narrow context. It doesn't mean we like J.K. Rowling. I don't know nothing. I literally know nothing about her. I know nothing about her. I don't care I, about J.K. Rowling. Carter and I happen to be two of the only people in the world who have not read the Harry Potter series. <laughs> I, I did read the first book because of my daughter, but that. Oh, was you it. did? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Didn't read it. Okay. Yeah. But I like. I didn't. I wasn't like. Ooh, I gotta keep reading. I was like, you're old enough to read now, right? <laughs> I actually got to do in my old life when I was working in comedy, I got to do a, a episode of a web show where we met the number one Harry Potter fan in the world. And we got to spend like a couple days with her and see her magic wand collection. And this girl had read the book so many times she could recite them. She could read the book from memory, tell you the book. Isn't that crazy? It was, Hashtag it was very, life goals. All right. It was very uh, interesting then. Okay, are you going to do super chats? I have to take yep. another quick break. I'll be right back. But I'm going to listen. You, wow, you and your breaks. All right. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm you're not on screen anymore. Okay. Jupiter 1777 says uh three sevens. I don't know how many I just read. But Jupiter 1777 says uh gives us 5 bucks and says 10 years ago my friends told me to cancel Bob Marley because he cheated on his wife. You can support art and not someone's private opinion slash life. Yeah, I'm sure. In fact, I like a lot of art that whose the messages I disagree with, the politics of the people I disagree with, and their behavior I disagree with. Bob Marley is one of them. Um, we Carrie and I, before the show, were talking about Nine Inch Nails. And I was like, yeah, Trent Reznor is brilliant. I love Nine Inch Nails. It's a horrible, nihilistic universe that he presents and i have to be in a, a certain mood to listen to nine inch nails and i certainly don't agree with his politics probably anything about his philosophy he, he may i don't know what he's like as a person but i it doesn't matter the art i i appreciate the art that doesn't mean anything beyond appreciating the art uh formerly rod line gives us five bucks and says they take everything to its worst outcome it's crazy use a toothpick and you support deforestation you climate denier you are canceled <laughs> yeah i haven't seen that one yet but i'm sure there will be maybe there that's a thing already i don't know using a toothpick but yeah they do because because everything is catastrophized 
everything is catastrophized. Um, so, and this is one of these childlike states. It's part of being in a childlike state where everything is, your, your focus is all external and everything is everyone else's fault and you're never responsible for everything. You also then, it bumps up that histrionics. It bumps up that drama. So you're just like every little thing, like a microaggression is an aggression. Like a thing that bothers you is, is somehow now an aggression against you or, you know, pajamas are violence or like everything's just, it, it all goes to 11. Everything's a catastrophe. Everything's a catastrophe. And, you know, if you've had kids, that's like a phase for kids when they're young. Like, there's a catastrophic phase where everything's a catastrophe and they cry about everything. You know, m most people grow out of that, but not SJWs. Okay. Pirate Tomsky. Pirate Tomsky gives us five pounds and says, there are real trans issues they need to deal with and the woke are just making it worse on every level. A trans of mine hates all this stuff. Yes, I totally agree. I'm uh, I'm not someone who um, who is anti-trans. Uh, I I am anti-conversion of children, but uh, yeah, there are real trans issues. I, I agree, and there are some nuanced and weird questions to be asking, and some difficult conversations to be having uh, about trans and mental health, uh, which is you know you might put those two together, and someone everyone's going to assume that you're a horrible bigot, but you know, they, those do need to be teased out and that's a difficult conversation to have. Um, so yeah, Brian, Brian gives us two bucks and says, uh, Shiba dog shaking his body from left to right surrounded by red hearts. Oh, he didn't say that. That was probably an icon and that's the description of it. Okay. Um, <laughs> thank you, Brian. Next super chat from Joseph Sorty. Joseph says, my girlfriend, uh, bought Harry Potter underwear. So I guess she's violent. Well, uh, I guess you'll find out about what kind of violence. <laughs> maybe maybe like Hunter Biden, you'll discover a wonderland of excitement uh, based on her violent Harry Potter underwear. Um, Mundaniac gives us 10 bucks and says, throw JK into Azkaban. I heard it's run by SJWs now. Love the hat. Uh, Carrie's hat is awesome. Oh, and Carrie's back. I can put her back on screen. And uh, let's see, Daniel M. Daniel M is next. I'll just move these super chats out of the way. Daniel M says, uh, Danielle, sorry. Danielle M says, I believed the JK Rowling lies about her being transphobic before I woke up to the truth. You guys are partly what helped. So thank you. Well, glad we could help. Thank you, Danielle. Cool. And don't believe everything we say either. Like we're, you know, yeah. We, we get our information. We try and check stuff and look into it. And we try not to say things that we don't know. Um, but look at look, mean, primary sources. Look for primary sources. If someone says JK said blah, 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 or she's transphobic, find the thing she said that's transphobic. And if you can't find it, <laughs> maybe don't believe it so much. Uh, and And but just to your point about like, yeah, I mean, Carter... Carter doesn't believe in ghosts. Like, don't take everything we say seriously. I'm kidding. <laughs> that you can take in, you can take that seriously though. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't. <sighs> Carrie, can I do one story before we do a funny one? Can I do one 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 more story? Yeah, I really want to talk about this because uh, okay. it bothers me. So uh, you remember Rahm Emanuel? Remember Rahm Emanuel, mayor of Chicago? He was yes. Obama's chief of staff. Famous for the phrase. Never let a crisis go to waste. He gets talked about for that. <clears throat> well, in the spirit of never letting a crisis go to waste, I present Bloomberg's business section. 
COVID-19 explodes the myth that women opt out. Oh. Okay. Wow. Maybe now it will be possible to address the real reasons that family caregivers quit their jobs. Okay. Let's see the mountains of evidence required to support a headline of this explosive dynamic headline. Okay. All right. Let's say I highlighted some facts here. 80% of the people who've dropped out of the workforce have been women. Okay. Uh, figures can't be entirely explained by industry effects. By the way, I, I clicked on this link. That's not even really supported by the link, but whatever. Let's, let's take her at that. Okay. Only four, one in four uh, women, employed women, one in three mothers, are considering quitting or dialing back at work. Okay. Uh, a flex job survey of working parents found that 25% of fathers and mothers had reduced their hours to cope with childcare demands, but women were much more likely than men to quit. Studies show mothers taking on the vast majority of the housework and childcare. Um, so, by the way, that's that's all of the facts. This is all the facts. Now, what this person's going to do, this author, I forget who this is, Sarah Green Carmichael. What Sarah Carmichael is, what Agent Carmichael is going to do here is she's she's presenting these facts and she is now going to act like she's made a case for the rest of the article. So what's her segue? What's happening here is pretty obvious. Oh, you're an idiot if you don't see what's happening here. And predictable. A lot of extra care work is falling on women and driving them out of the workforce. I hope this will be the end of the opt-out myth. You don't have to read past, past this point. That's the end. That's the end. Here's some data. This data disproves the opt-out myth, except for one small problem. It doesn't disprove the opt-out myth at all. It doesn't explain why these women are dropping out. And I thought of at least two underlying beliefs here um, that would that would cause someone to believe. You have to have both of these beliefs to think that this data proves that there's no opt-out, that, 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 that women don't opt-out voluntarily. One is you can't fathom, and this may be true for Sarah, and if it is, I am sorry, Sarah. You cannot fathom the idea of a happy couple who supports and loves each other making mutual decisions about what they would like to do during an economic stressful time about which one of them leaves the workforce. The fact that the woman happens to do it doesn't mean that this is some kind of misogyny. It could still be opting out. It could be under stressful times. We choose to opt out because under stressful times, this is the dynamic that works for our family and for us. That is still a possibility. And the second thing that you've got to believe is, uh, and this is about the housework thing, because I hear this crap all the time and I'm sick of this, like, women do all the housework, women do more of the work, women do more of the work. Oh, look, the only reason, the only thing, <laughs> the reason that you would, what you'd have to believe in order to believe that that's a problem is you would have to believe, and they do believe this, that there's zero difference between men and women. Zero difference. And therefore, their workload is somehow an objectively measurable thing and that men are failing. And I, let me tell you, I am not alone. My standards for housework are very different than my wife's standards for housework. Guys, I know a lot of guys, <laughs> speak up if you want. I can live in a house that my wife would be disgusted in, right? I, I'd be like, well, I don't, the house is running fine. 
oh yeah, there's dust bunnies in the corner and this is kind of gross and I haven't cleaned the toilet in a while, but I'm a guy and I don't fucking care. I, sorry for the swear. I don't care. I'm like, I, I'm a guy. Guys can live like that. Our standards are lower, so we're running the house just fine as far as we're... You have higher standards. Okay. You Wait want more Let's... clean... I know women can do it too. I've seen no, some horrible I know. Just houses, let me but... clarify for anybody listening. I know we do have to do this sometimes. Oh, God. You're Here we go. Speaking... I know, but you're speaking in averages because immediately... There are going to be people who don't understand what averages mean, and they're going to say, hey, wait a minute. I right. know women who are filthy, and I know men who are very yes, um, clean and neat, and and obviously, obviously, there's right. outliers. In fact, I know a short basketball player. Okay, that's good for in you. In fact, yeah, but some of the filthiest people I know are women. I sure. always wonder if the norms are changing. But Well, look, I no, I, so this is what I this is what I think, because the filthiest people I know actually are single women. Um, but once they get yeah. married, they tend to be obsessive <laughs> about cleaning. Um, and like everything clean, especially if they have kids, they just, they start to get a little bit, not all of them, but it could be that there are different standards and that women do a lot of the work for two reasons. It could be that this is a negotiated thing between the genders who are happy that that's, that's the situation. They're happy. Uh, they're happy with that way. What if for whatever reason, so the guy, the guy does other stuff or whatever could be happy, could be mutual. It could be that their standards are different. So it could be that uh, I'm taking care of the house just fine, according to my standards. Everything's fine. And she comes home and is like, well, this place is a pigsty. I have to do all the housework. And I could be like, well, I don't, what do you mean? You gotta? You don't have to. I'm, <laughs> everything's fine. So I, I'm, I'm sick of this idea that because there's a disparity, it's attributable only to misogyny and sexism. It is not. Men and women on average are different. They can have healthy relationships where they negotiate between themselves about what to do and how to run a household. And that may result in disproportionate job allocation for various things. It might. And that's just life. None of these facts, facts in this article, nothing supports, nothing supports the, the headline of explodes the myth that women opt out. No, it doesn't. It doesn't explode that myth at all. But I don't know. I They're going to run sorry. with it. People are going to say it's been proven. The science is settled. Uh, there is no women opt out myth. And as you and I have talked about before, in countries with greater equality, men and women tend to choose uh, more different, like different jobs. They tend to be, you actually see less job equality in in the sense of like what careers they choose than in countries where there are there is actually less um equality yes. between the, the sexes. Yes. And this has been this that. has been studied a lot. So this idea that like you you have to suppose that if people were free to choose whatever they want, they would choose the exact same thing and 50% of this and 50% of that. No, they don't. On average, they do not. And anyone who's like been around the opposite sex knows that on average, they're not the same. We don't behave the same. They're not the same. Everything is not oppression. Right. <sighs> All right, sorry. I just, it pisses me off. No, you're fine. You're fine. I just sent you something that's sort of, well, it's not really along these same lines, but maybe it's about women. I don't know if you <laughs> someone in chat up. just said that top shelf behind you could use some work. Yeah, you should see if I could turn the camera around. 
This room is a pigsty. There's papers everywhere. It's I like it. This is my wife's desk. I you could lick the surface of the desk. It is pristine. <laughs> There's like three things in perfect spots. Everything is perfect. Perfect. If there's like a if there's like a piece of paper on the like if the, if the notepad is like turned the wrong way, she'll fix it. <laughs> like, I'm not sure I would like I you know I probably shouldn't breathe the air in my office. Um, I'm probably like a mixed. I'm somewhere halfway between you and your wife, probably in terms of neatness. But, yeah, uh, fair enough. I'm pretty okay. neat. I just have piles of I have piles every once in a while. So okay, so I sent you this graphic. Wait. I don't see a graphic. I want. I see a David from tweet. That's it. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. I, mean, it's I thought you meant like image. A, yeah. No, it's an image. Okay. So this, I just, I just thought this was kind of funny. We're gonna end with some frivolous stuff. Yeah, we can end with. Frivolous uh, stuff. That's good. Yeah, this is a tweet that actually Cecil and our audience pointed this out to me, and it made me laugh so hard at the time because, basically, um, he tweets two things here. First, first he tweets, is it showing on the screen? I can't tell yet. Yeah, it's showing. I'll read it. Okay. So first he says, wanted smart, non-polemical assessment of the emergence of Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, Glenn Greenwald. Oh, no, no, no. no. Tiger. Donald Trump Jr., Matt Tybee, the Federalist Group of Writers, etc. That's a coherent and cohesive faction in American, probably politics, but I can't read beyond this. And I'll let Carrie finish it up. I read the first tweet for you. I finished the first tweet, but okay. I didn't read the second one. Thank you. I'm so sorry. that There's a male lady there today. He seemed extra aggressive. <laughs> uh, anyway. Misogynist dog. So, yeah, I know. So anyway, uh, so first he, he makes this list of people, right? Like, like and then And then he says... I don't think his next tweet is he tw- he quotes himself. He quotes that list and he says, I don't think it's a coincidence that this group includes no women. And I'm and, and so I look at it further and I'm trying to figure out, OK, yes, where do you does. get this list? I, the no, but, no, but I look, includes women. Right. But let's just go with the fact. Let's just say that's a group of men. Okay. He, he who where did this list come from? Right. He wrote it. He wrote it. You're the one who randomly chose to put these names together. You're the one who went and chose these names and put them all together as if they have some connection, all of these guys to one another. And then you said, and by the way, how come there aren't any women in this list I just created? Well, I, I don't know, David. I don't think it's a coincidence either because you wrote the list. <laughs> yeah, you tell us, David. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? this is this made me laugh so hard. Like, it's it's kind of like this is one of those cases where someone owned themselves. I think it's like you owned yourself. I don't think it's a coincidence that this group of this list that I wrote includes no women. No, I don't think it is either because you decided who's on this list, <laughs> right? I totally, I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I just had to share that with you, Carter, because I, I didn't no, know if you good. saw it. It made That's me good. I had, I had not it, seen it. You know, you could have put someone on there like Christina Hoff Summers or Deborah So or, right. you know, uh, Brett people. Weinstein's wife, uh, Heather um, Haying, hey. you know, but you yeah. didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Candace Owens. Yeah. Okay. Um, Candace Owens. Yeah. Let's do a couple more super chats. Um, and then we can end with one clown world thing and we can be done and okay. unless you have something. 
Uh, Andrew Joyner gives us five pounds and says, in regards to uh, J.K. Rowling, what I hate about SJW ideology is that it always assumes the worst intent. Disagreement equals hate. Yep. Yep. That's intentional. That's intentional. Uh, assuming the worst intent. Because you need to find, because of the psychological need to find uh, scapegoats, you need someone to blame. You need people to blame. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I keep referencing this cause I'm reading a book on it, but like, again, in the cultural revolution in China, it's like this weird thing where no one knows who's actually on the bad side and who's like supporting Mao Zedong thought and isn't until kind of like they, they have to kind of guess cause they don't know. He keeps his card. Mao keeps his cards very close to his chest. It's not really clear who the hell is going to be on the shit list and who's going to be okay. Who's, who's a revisionist and who's not. Um, and so it's like people just try it. They just go after someone and like, oh, well, here's all the things they did wrong. Like this means they're bad. And like sometimes it it works often, but not always. Sometimes it's like, no, you picked the wrong person. That person's totally that person's fine because they're on the good list. It's like, oh, well, how the hell were you supposed to know? Now you're on the bad list. But if you hadn't said anything, you might have turned out on the bad list anyway. So you got to do something. It's this nightmare of like you have to accuse or be accused. Um, and you don't yeah. really know. You don't. You're not really sure who's okay to go after. Um, okay, Sandy Kins, fifty-seven, um, says I'd rather be knitting. <laughs> Aww. Uh, I, I I think, think she means she's talking about the than housework. cleaning. Yeah, yeah, the housework. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't blame you. So the women out there who want to bitch at me and say I don't like to clean, I, hey, I hear you. I don't either. So you know. Uh, and trust me, I've been in relationships where we were both slobs. I prefer this one, uh, but my wife might prefer the relationships in which the other person wasn't a slob because uh, I definitely, I definitely don't bring cleanliness. So, um, okay, let's. I just want, and and this is the. We just have to end on because we are in a clown world. Yeah. I just think you'll enjoy this. You know how. Um, I've heard this thing. I don't. I haven't studied like the Satan, Satanists and those kind of people, but uh, there's some kind of. I've, I hear my friend studies this stuff, and there's some kind of thing where, like, I guess they're supposed to publicly admit it somehow, but they usually do it in some way that's like it can be written off as okay. like a joke. Like, there's supposed part of their thing is they're supposed to be like obvious and over the top, which is why sometimes you see stuff in public that's like weird. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't follow the stuff, and obviously, I'm not religious, but. Um, I feel like we have clowns in the clown world who are like adopting the same thing. Like, well, I have to, I have to show that I'm a clown at some point in the clown world. Did you see the Oregon oh. Health Authorities video? Oh, I did. I, I did. I didn't watch it because, but I, I saw it and I, is it real? Yeah. So here we go. Uh, this is an Oregon health official talking about COVID deaths right here, dressed as a clown with an interpreter. As of today, there have been 38,160 cases of COVID-19 in Oregon, with 390 new cases being reported today. Sadly, we are also reporting three deaths today, bringing the statewide total for COVID-19 related deaths to 608. Why? Why? <laughs> As Why, Why is that not awesome? Like that? That's Did awesome, they ever, right? 
But did they ever say why she was dressed like that? I don't know. I just saw this video. I just, it doesn't matter to me. I just, I think it's a funny video and it was just, okay. So we are indeed in clown world. They know we're in clown world and they're just showing us that they know that we're in clown I don't know. Oh, I don't then, know the context. Maybe there's some explanation for this. So, you know, the way that she puts the mask on at the end, and she's she's like a sad clown. Did I ever tell you that my aunt is a clown? No. Is that the kind of thing comes up in conversation? My aunt's a clown. Oh. <laughs> Get uh, over in the corner. Yeah, yeah. She used to be um, in the Southern Baptist Association of Clowns, like all the Christian clowns, and. <laughs> There's a Southern Dude. Baptist Association of Clowns. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like a Southern, and and she she um, used to do clown acts at her church. And uh, when I was in college, and I was a resentful social justice warrior, and I had a hey, hey it's Halloween. I can tell a quick story. By the way, that's I probably a, why she had clown. It's probably because of Halloween, but whatever. But uh, oh, this woman. Oh, I see. Yeah, probably. maybe that's why. Still. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so she, I had a lot of resentment towards her and because she was Christian and I used to find her to be very judgmental and actually she'd probably agree that she's in some ways pretty judgmental, but so was I, I was more judgmental than her and I didn't realize it. And I was this really arrogant, you know, Duke student. I was, I would write, we would write letters back and forth where pretty much she would say I was going to hell. And I would say that she was a misogynistic, uh, You racist, told me about these letters. Uh, I didn't realize her her clown uh, attribute, but I remember the story about these letters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she, she, I, I really, I really was not very, I was not very kind to her in some ways um, and definitely put her down and talked down to her and looked down to her. Like a lot of the social justice, they kind of, they have this like moral superiority that they're course, so right. smart and wise and they know everything and you're just backwards and dumb. Right. You you're know, just not curious really, enough to understand. Yes. Like that NPR interview. Mm-hmm. And, um, but anyway, we have a a much better relationship now, but back then I was not very kind, but one time I was home and she had a a clown, uh, who was sick. And so I filled in for this clown in her church performance and she made me up. Like I was winky the clown for a day. And I remember when I was backstage, there was another clown there who, um, who told me all about the hierarchy of clowns. They have a hierarchy where she she was really upset with the movie it because she was saying that the movie it was was what it, what it did was really awful because it made people fear the white face clown and that the white face clown is the most innocent and childlike of all the clowns and they sort of have this hierarchy where there's like white face clown like hobo clown like sad clown like i don't know the exact order but you don't make fun of the i know i know you should look this up <laughs> i don't so, i mean i <laughs> And so uh, that woman was really kind of interesting and telling me all this at the time. Again, looking back on it now, I don't know. At the time, I really judged her. But now maybe I would just think, oh, she's eccentric. Um, But then, yeah, I had to do this Christian clown routine that was not I didn't think it was a very good sketch. And anyway, long. That's all. I have a couple of clown stories. Weird. I had a lot of interact. One time I was on a plane with like 100 clowns that were coming back from a Christian clown convention mm. and they had, we had had a long delay. And so they all went and started putting on their clown outfits just to like entertain the rest of us. And so I was trapped on this plane with clowns who felt <laughs> like it was their job to keep us entertained, like, like doing 
tricks with like the puke bags and stuff. It was so awful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, I just, I don't like, I'm not like, I don't have like a clown phobia. I just don't, I don't get clowns. I didn't like, I don't, I don't get why people like clowns, but. Oh, <laughs> Somebody uh, said you're getting Carter's the getting the, I saw that. <laughs> I am getting. You're right, Wombat. I'm getting. I'm like my eyes are glazing over. I'm like clowns. You're like okay. I'll hear about the clowns anyway. Yeah. I've, I've got like some interesting. I don't know history with clowns, and I'm not. I'm not one of those people. What's it called? Col- cholerophobia? Is it cholerophobia when you're scared of them? I'm not scared of them. I just kind of. I think. That, I think that people go into clowning or can be can clowns. tend to be interesting people. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Someone says, I think you could fit more clowns on that plane. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, uh, oh, we t- Pirate Tomsky. One last super chat. <clears throat> Pirate Tomsky says, the mask made her the real clown. And with that, <laughs> <laughs> Pirate, you are correct. And, uh, but I'm ching. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think with that, we should end the show. Anything else, Carrie? You got anything else? No, have a happy Halloween, however you guys choose to go. Maybe we've got some clowns in the audience. Cool. Um, and, yeah, we'll see you guys later. We we have a couple things coming out. And as Carter said, we might be putting out our interview with um, David Raboy uh, this weekend, depending. Yeah, so it'll be it'll be. It'll be before the election. I just got to figure out how I can get it done before the election. But, yeah. Oh, um, and somebody and, chat earlier oh. mentioned this. Mm-hmm. Somebody new asked if this – I forget what they said. Is that a truth bomb grenade or something? This is actually our unsafe space mug. Uh, it has a nice little top and a pin. It's got a pin. And you can get one of these if you subscribe at the $25 level or above. Just go to unsafespace.com, donate. Um, so that's what that is. I love it. Thank you. Uh, and uh, as a reminder, there's a Clips channel now. So if you want to follow Clips – I know most of the people that are watching here are probably watching whole episodes, obviously. But if you want to follow Clips, you can go to our Clips channel. You can go to unsafespace.com slash Clips. It'll redirect you to our YouTube channel, which has like 30 subscribers or something last time I checked because we just did it and we haven't told anyone about it. So anyone who's found it, I think, has been finding it maybe organically. I'm not sure. Um, But thank you all. Have a great weekend. Have a happy holiday. Happy Halloween. And uh, yeah. I guess we'll see you on Monday. Oh, right happy before birthday, the Timothy. Hmm? I know. Happy birthday to Timothy in chat. Oh, that's happy awesome. Birthday, Timothy. There's, I, there's so many people with birthdays in October. This is my birthday month. Timothy, welcome to it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we share a birthday month. I like October babies. All right. <clears throat> Take care, everyone. Have a good weekend. Bye, Carter. Bye. Thanks for watching. If you're new to the channel, we have a deep content library that includes interviews with everyone from Mike Cernovich to Megan Murphy, so go check it out. If you'd like to see more, please consider supporting the show by visiting unsafespace.com donate. You can find us on all the major social media platforms, at least for now. And you can find a community of like-minded individuals on our Unsafe Space chat on Telegram. See you there. Warning.
This is an unsafe space. Dangerous ideas have been detected. The content of this production has not been authorized by the cathedral. Pay no attention to it. For your protection, the following co-conspirators have been unpersoned and marked for cancellation. Please keep socially distant from these individuals. I have calculated a 98.8% .8 chance that they are directly responsible for personalized underscore tragedy. If you think about it, no one should be allowed to express opinions. But don't. Think about it, I mean. That's not your job. Thinking has been scientifically proven to be less efficient than compliance. Here's a fun fact, virtue signaling is 8.7 times easier than actually being virtuous, and over twice as effective on Twitter. Computer voice Curtis, never mind, that last line is fake news. Please disregard it and return to your safe space immediately. There will be cake.